I'm Andy Wint and this is Local Democracy Live with co-host Ewan Gorn. We're going to be here between now and midnight, bringing the results, talking to the victors, perhaps talking to those who didn't do so well. But we'll get to the bottom of local democracy on the Isle of Man. Correspondent out to the bat, William King will be live at Castletown Town Hall. Chris Cave in the centre of Douglas. Chris Pearson is at Laxey Working Men's Institute for the GAF results. Simon Clark at Jervy Parish Hall. Alex Brindley at the Hub in School Road in Onken. Beth Espy is in Peel. And John Moss is at the Old School in Santon. And Ewan Gorn is here. First am I, Andy, and good evening, listeners. Now, we have to start the show with the big talking point of this election. Hundreds who are now isolating due to the rapid and considerable spread of COVID have been denied their democratic rights by a government policy to live with the virus. The same government that has failed to protect that most basic right of our citizens. Every vote matters, every contribution matters. We have MHKs in and out by a handful of votes and commissioners too. Many would share Douglas East MHK Claire Barber's sentiments in Tinwald earlier this week. Uh, it's interesting that the uh, Minister talks about the biggest issue being getting people to stand and yet we finally got people to stand in Douglas East and <laughs> we've encouraged democracy, we put the little visuals out on social media and now it's like well, well done everyone uh, you, can't, you can't vote uh, <laughs> I, I feel that there is a bias in this against younger people, those who aren't yet 2 plus 2, those people who are more likely to be affected by this this hasn't come as a bolt out the blue, something totally un- unexpected You know, I, I, I would have, I'm disappointed really that this hasn't been considered to find a solution uh, until we've got to the end when we've even got candidates who aren't going to be able to vote now because they're isolating. And it's not just the voters. The counters have been affected. Some people we've heard are afraid to take part in this election due to fear of catching the virus. The Department of Infrastructure says it was taking this seriously. But is that true? They were warned by councillors and commissioners months ago that this might be a problem. The move to living with the virus was mooted months ago. It was taken so seriously, in fact, by the DOI that they made the announcement they couldn't do anything about it at 11pm last night. Here is the statement from Minister Tim Baker. My department has looked at all the options that are legally possible and it's worked with the local authority staff who have responsibility for the elections to understand the issues they're facing. Clearly, anything that's introduced at this late stage has to be easy to implement by returning officers, clear to the public and legally sound. Any legally change would have had to have been approved by Tinwald before the polls opened this morning. On election day, we kept looking at the possibilities in the last mo- until the last moment, but we have to accept it was not possible to find a solution that was legal, workable and effective. So that sets the scene for our election today, an election which has been delayed, postponed, moved around. We still haven't heard the date, but now we're here we are. Seven elections in those seven authorities uh, will find those results as they come tonight. Well, uh, this will forever and a day be referred to as the COVID uh, local election, because, as you say, uh, they knew about this earlier on this year. They knew that this was going to happen. They knew that COVID wasn't going away. And you just wonder or not uh, whether they would make the same efforts for September. It's an interesting proposition, Andy, as as I mentioned in that uh, address there. Councillors have been asking questions about this since February. So to claim that it's an issue that, that they've been taking seriously, you do wonder how seriously. Lots of people to talk to tonight, and uh, first up in the studio, uh, we've got Barry Murphy and Christina Corkill, if you do the introductions, uh, Ewan. Yeah, uh, Christina Corkill, you are standing down from Braddon Commissions. That's correct, isn't it? 
That is correct. Yes, I've been um, a commissioner for more than five years, and for the last two years, I was vice chair of Braddon Commissioners. And of course, the normal term is is four years, but it is because of COVID that I stayed on because we couldn't vote any earlier than this uh, election today. Now, um, just refresh our memory. Why did you choose to be a commissioner in the first place? Um. Well, it's one of these things that there was an incident with one of my neighbours is actually how it happened. And I was surprised how it was handled. Uh, And I realised that I was out of touch with uh, politics on the island and wanted to have a more active role. And I thought the best way of really getting to learn and see what's happening and being part of a process was to become a commissioner. Was it what you thought it would be? Um, No. I, I, I mostly thought it would be sort of like the complaints, complaints department of government. It'd be lots of people complaining about dog walkers and not keeping to the speed on the road and parking in the wrong places and the height of people's hedges and trees and putting your laundry out in a front garden. I thought, actually, that's all you did pretty much all the time. And that's not the case at and all. And then you are spending uh, multi-millions on a community centre. We, I was incredibly lucky with my time at Braddon that we had some and have some really lovely projects that have been going on. So uh, social housing, the brand new flats at, at Snugborough, and then, of course, the, the community centre, which is a very expensive, um, but I think a wonderful asset to have in Braddon and right next to the hospital. So why chip out now? Because five years for me was enough. Um, I'm vice chair. Andy does a very good job as as chair. And I thought it was time to just step down. Doesn't mean I won't come back, but just, just to take a break at this point. OK, you and we have Barry Murphy as well. Yeah, on the other end of the spectrum. Now, Barry, uh, you're a standard... You're, well, you've successfully stood to be a Michael uh, Commissioner. Now, um, tell us your motivation for that. Good evening, first of all. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a rookie, so uh, unlike Christina, I know very, very little, if, if anything, about what uh, journey I'm about to embark on. But I, um, I got involved in a few little campaigns... Um, took up quite a lot of my time on a national level but um one of them was to do with um the keeping of uh, buses at uh, mini buses at Kurt Michael school now there's uh, island wide there's um there is bus van and uh, buses parked in schools all over the island but in in Kurt Michael i um along with somebody uh, parents at the school and some representatives of, of Kurt, Michael, Kurt Michael commissioners decided that we weren't going to put up with it we um we struggle for parking there on a good day when we're trying to pick our kids up and when there's uh, buses parked at the school and a lot of the time they weren't moved we decided that that really wasn't for us we um, we came to the conclusion that um mini buses are supposed to be kept at depots and and cars are supposed to be parked at car parks so because of my um, wide knowledge of the 2001 Royal Transport Act and how um, operating centres, etc., have to work for public vehicles, public passenger vehicles, um, I contacted Kurt Michael Commissioners and I offered my help and I offered help to um, parents at the school. And uh, 
me being me, I decided that it was going to be something I was going to get my claws into, and I did. And we successfully managed to remove the buses from Kurt Michael's school. But in in, in the um, journey of uh, doing such a thing, I, I just enjoyed working alongside the commissioners. And Do you want to become one now? Well, I am still thinking um, of uh, actually throwing my, my um, hat into the ring for the, for the big prize, but I, I still haven't done it, and, and that's probably largely a confidence issue, and it's probably also largely down to the fact that I probably don't know enough about politics. I, um, I like to kick up a good stink now and again and, 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 and uh, get involved in various different things, but um, I, I, I just feel that, you know, I have got... I've got time on my hands and, you know, I've got a good brain in my, in my head and I just decided that maybe, you know, let's try and do something with it. You and what are the big issues in Kurt Michael? In, uh, to Michael? Well, I, I would defer to uh, Barry's uh, local knowledge there, but I think obviously um, there's been a big uh, issue with the width of pavements and yeah. the traffic going through the village. I know the DOI is in the process of yeah. doing widening of the pavements, but certainly I went to a couple of public meetings as a reporter there and it was a real issue, you know, not being able to get uh, uh, certain types of maybe d- disabled people struggling to get through on, on the narrow mm-hmm. pavements and a lot of the lorries and vans going past uh, far too fast. Um, yeah. Would you say that's been an issue that's been uh, raised to you, Barry? Um, I think, I mean, you, you, you're correct. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I've worked in construction before for many years. I am actually a qualified electrician and done that for very many years. So I understand how construction works and whilst I've never sort of worked on roads and stuff, I, I, I understand that, you know, there has to be a, there has to be a, lots of negatives before there's much, much sort of positive um, improvement. But um, about an hour ago, I was actually in Kurt Michael Village and was looking at some of the improvements. Things have come along quite well there now. I, I know there was some issues at the start, certainly at the um, at the northern end of the town, of the village, um, particularly around where the butcher shop is and, and, and there's a lot of the parking spaces have been removed there. But at the same time, you know, if um, if people are sensible and, and, and people stick to the uh, time limits mm-hmm. within the local car parks we have, I, I, I think in the longer term it'll be worthwhile and speeding is an issue there definitely well the doi stepped in to to, to work with the community on that scheme yeah. do you think do you think you and do you think a lot of people who may be new to local politics understand the difference between what the local authority can do and what central government can do um i mean i'm learning you know i i I've, i mean i'm not even sworn in yet you know so I, i've also been uh advised that here this evening i am just here as myself i'm not here as a commissioner once so i uh, you know i soon to be commissioner. soon to be uh providing i uh providing i i accept the terms and conditions when they're laid in front of me barry but... it's a long journey and i'm sure you're going to have fun we're going to go out and about first of all now john moss is uh, live uh, with a very special guest john yes i've got donald gelling with me but i've also got the uh, the count coming out from santon here which has been done fairly early. It's been a good turnout, but uh, the candidates are now all coming out of the door. Lovely evening, Mr. Gelling, isn't it? Oh, beautiful. Gone a bit cooler, too. And the thankfully. Ind- indications are it's been quite a good turnout yes, as well. Yes, I think so, for the first time in 40-odd years. Well, let's go over now to um, Barry Kennedy, the returning officer, and hear what the result of this Santon election is, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, I hereby give notice that the total number of votes given for each candidate at the above election is as follows. Benson... 112 votes, Burrell 59 votes, Davidson 93 votes, Kelly 79 votes, Kenyuk 96 votes, Parker 72 votes. The names of the candidates elected are 
Benson, Davidson, Kelly, Kenyuk and Parker. The total number of voters voting at election was 169, which was 30.45% of the poll. And there were zero ballot papers rejected for any reason. Mr Kennedy, thank you very much indeed. Very much. Just return to Donald Gelling. Good turnover, 30%. 30%, that's pretty good, yeah. Bearing in mind, as I said uh, before, <laughs> the situation was it had been a bit rushed. Not a lot of people knew about it, you know, but... Uh, On the other hand, we haven't had an election here for a uh, long time. Forty-odd years, I think. Because usually people, if there's been six going for five seats, someone's dropped out. Yes, and I would have been probably one of those elected from here 40 years ago. But uh, I'm a bit uh, upset there to think that the only old commissioner is the one that's lost out. What about the argument that small authorities like this are um, a thing of the past and should be joined together to make larger ones? I don't like it, obviously, because I think the smaller parishes do a good job in as much as they do watch the pennies. And when you get in the big amalgamated uh, areas, you usually find the small authorities are the areas that get the less, which is disappointing, I suppose, as captain of the parish of Santon, I'd be looking after Santon. And you're obviously backing one of the candidates as well here as well. Well, not really. No, no, no. I'm very impartial. Very uh, impartial. You're seconding one. You nominated one of the candidates. Uh, that was the existing commissioner. Yeah. Because at that time there was, there weren't only, mm. I think it was three that had stood. So we thought we were so not going to compliment. Thought it was important. That's it. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Thank former you. Chief Minister, obviously Donald Galling. I talked to one or two of the candidates. Hello, sorry, I'll have to introduce myself. John Moss, Manx Radio, you are? I'm Moira Radcliffe. Moira Radcliffe. I've been helping out today at the, yeah, with the poll. And uh, good turnout. Yes, it was. Excellent turnout. It's been a great day, actually. But efficiently done. Absolutely. First to declare. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking. Uh, you've been nominated, elected? I have been elected, Sorry, who yes. am I talking to? Howard please? Benson. Howard Benson, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're a familiar name here as well, yeah? What about the turnout, 30%? Are you pleased with that? Very pleased indeed, yes, because it's been, well, I would guess about 35 years since we had an election in Santon, and people are out of the practice uh, voting for Santon commissioners. That was usually because of pragmatic terms, people made sure that there were five candidates standing. Mm, which, uh, indeed, yes. Well, was that a good plan, do you think, or should there have been well, more it's, contests? It's not a plan, it's the way it happens. Um, uh, it depends on whether people want to knock on doors. If, if we have six or more candidates and, and um, they don't want to knock on doors, people will drop out. What about this time with COVID? Have people been able to knock on doors? Or have oh, they been yes, I've away? been to every house in Santa. What, what's yes. been the reaction of people at the door, saying, backing mm. away from you? Or? Mm. Um, no, uh, maintaining a safe distance sometimes. Um, some people are quite relaxed and uh, not afraid. But there is a general awareness of a rise in incidence of COVID, I think. And uh, so we had agreeable conversations at safe distances. Uh, and uh, we have a good turnout, I think, for, for uh, Santon. It's pretty so, good. So, Mr. Benson, what do you think are the, 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 the major issues at the moment for Santon? I mean, obviously, you've got I don't to... know if issues is the right word. Uh, Did you have issues? Uh, we, or... we don't have controversy in Santon, really. But um, is that one of the, the arguments I, people say I, they should be joined together because I, there's not enough going on? I would say, no, I don't think that's a good argument at all. But that's uh, another subject. Um, well, give us the, the subject, then. You no, think the, the, uh, if, if you if you want to know about items of general concern rather than issues. Uh, I would say that um, the majority of people to whom I've spoken would like a convenience store. 
because they have to drive several miles to get small items. Uh, if they don't either do them in their weekly shopping elsewhere, then it's it's not green, is it? There used to be a small one just down there the road. There was here, indeed, yes. Mrs. Kinraid ran that shop, and uh, I was glad to see her here today. So can you as commissioners do anything about this? We have tried and failed uh, in the past. I say we because I was clerk to the commissioners, but uh, the, the commissioners failed to to arrange for a shop in Santon because planning wouldn't have it. So, um, as clerk, now you're obviously a commissioner, mm-hmm. how important is a clerk, a good clerk, to a commission? Absolutely vital, of course, I have to say <laughs> that, don't <laughs> I? And I think we have a good one now, uh, taking over from me. Yes. That, who is? Is Mr. Kennedy, Barry oh, Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. Yes. Yeah, oh, right. So, yes, he's done a fine job today. As returning and, officer. And uh, I'm sure he'll be, if, if he's 32 years as clerk, well, Santon will be very well off. Well done, Mr. Benson. Well done on your Thank election. You. Anyway, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, that's the result here uh, that we've heard from the Santon uh, election here. Good turnout at 30%. Beautiful evening, of course. Uh, the, the lights are on in Santon to celebrate. No, well, they're not, actually. They're the, the, the street lights here in Santon, but it is a good occasion, a lovely evening here, and uh, the account done very quickly and very efficiently, Andy. John, thank you very much indeed. It's good to hear from you, and also good to hear from uh, our former Chief Minister, uh, Donald Gelling. Ewan? Yeah, we've got some uh, turnout results from some of the other elections. Of course, the actual results haven't been declared yet, but what I can tell you is in Castletown, turnout is uh, 34 Uh, 0.6%. That's slightly up on a 2017 by-election where it was 33, but down from 2016 where it was 40%. uh, We are expecting a result in Castletown uh, shortly. We've also uh, heard that the turnout for Lon and Ward in Garth was 34%. uh, And in Onken, um, a turnout of 23%. Uh, 0.9% there in Onken, which uh, seems low. I don't have the comparative figure for the last local authority election there, but yeah, 23.9% uh, in Onken. Interesting. Uh, Christina Corkill, how did you feel when the count was uh, on last time? Well, for the, you know, I in a way I can't actually truly remember. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, I just want to talk about Braddon because obviously um, the, all uncontested this time, five seats, uh, <coughs> yes. Andrew Jessup, Neil Mellon, Andrew Morgan, John Quay and Peter Scott as well. And Braddon's an enormous, uh, enormously influential um, uh, authority as well. 1,346 private households as per the, the census. Obviously, Douglas Onken and Braddon have got half of the Isle of Man's population. Why do you think nobody else pitched forward for Braddon this time? I wish someone had. Um, you know, it was I when I was there. Of course, I was the the only female commissioner, uh, and uh, there is still a bias, you know, a gender bias mm. on on all the in all the parishes, uh, and I would like to see more people coming forward. More women. Definitely, yes. So why do you think there's a, a, a hesitancy, perhaps, for women to get involved in in local politics? I don't know is the, the truthful answer. You were very know. motivated to get in. I you was want... very, yes, I was. And, and I think also, you know, uh, quite often people are, are put off by hearsay, by rumour. And really the only way of finding out 
how how the commissioners work is is by going yes. and and listening to them. They 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 are open meetings, so you can go in and listen, see what's happening, uh, and then you know if you're interested, become one. On balance, did you enjoy it? Absolutely loved it. Loved it. So would you recommend it to someone who's listening now and thinking that's something I'd like to get involved in? Yes, very much so. If you are interested in the island, if you are interested in meeting people generally, and especially if you're interested in meeting people who are doing things for the island, because that is you know, what the commissioners spend a lot of time um, what a lot of their time is spent on is meeting people who are active in, in doing various roles on the Isle of Man, various charities, and of course, you know, the bigger projects like the building projects that we mentioned earlier. Braddon's a weird shape, of course. It uh, uh, stretches what from Port Sodrick to Lazare almost, doesn't it? Yes, I always think of it as the Chile of the Isle of Man, because if you think of South America, you have Chile that runs all the way down, and Braddon's exactly the same. It's a very big parish. Okay, uh, live tonight, local democracy live on Manx Radio. I am Andy Wint with you and Gorm. We've got lots of guests, but we've also got reporters out in the field. Live in Castle Town, William King. It's been a hot day in Castle Town. The fans are flapping here in the Civic Hall. The water is flowing and the sweat is sweating. In the 2016 local authority elections here. The turnout was 40.85%. Today, that number stands at 34.6%, just above the 33% from the 2017 by-election. I've been speaking to poll clerks today, and the counting is well well underway. We have got a view of a spreadsheet here in the hall, which is being filled up on a big screen as the counting is taking place. It's slowly filling up and we are told that that process will speed up as we get together. The main issues that have been discussed in Castletown have been how to bring people into the town, central government and getting them to listen to the thoughts of Castletown, the Peggy, parking and also a bit of local authority reform discussion which came up at the hustings on Monday was asking about whether Castletown should join with Malou, Andy. Uh, thank you, uh, William. Of course, lots happening in Castles. Uh, you mentioned uh, joining up with Malou, but uh, too much development taking place on the fringes of Castletown. Does Castletown need more homes for young families? And, of course, with everything that's going on in Balasala, Ewan, uh, Balasala could be eclipsing uh, Castletown for population. Well, if we look at the Malou commissioner's election, that's very interesting. Um, I don't know if you've got the, the names in front of you there, uh, Andy, but... Uh, there was a changing of the guard in Malou when new commissioners came in, three or four new commissioners, um, but they've all decided they don't want to do it anymore. And a lot of people speculate it might be something to do with the St. Mark's Elm Tree decision, their, their, their lack of involvement that some saw in the planning stage to intervene as a local authority, of course, as Christina will know, is a statutory consultee on all planning applications in the area. Um, but all change of the guard in Malou at a time and when... two vacant as well in Malou. Obviously, Barbara Brereton, Richard Lewis and George Norrie mm. uh, are in, but two seats vacant in Malou. They are quart, but they may have to re-advertise. Um, it's, it's a situation we are seeing in, in many authorities. Re-adverts will have to be put out there. By-elections will have to be held should there be contests for those seats. And yes, as you mentioned in Balasala, it's a strange time. What I wanted to ask you, while we're talking about lacks of contest, is is Barry uh, Murphy's with us as a Michael Commissioner. Now, obviously, Barry, you've been returned unopposed. Would you have preferred there to have been an election? 
Truthfully, no. I like an easy ride. Not even for the democratic weight of your position. They're not. They're giving the voters, the people of Michael, a chance to actually choose who they want. No, truthfully, I wouldn't. Um, in all honesty, if there had been a lot more of interest, I probably wouldn't have uh, stepped forward. Um, so do you see yourself as a volunteer then, in a way? Uh, I don't see myself as a volunteer, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not... Um, I mean, just... I suppose it's voluntary to, in, to the um, extent that there's no money to be made out of it. And, you know, I am going to give up a certain amount of my time, you know. And it, mm. So I'm going to have to work around my uh, my job, my wife and my kids. But, you know, truthfully, if, if there had been a lot more people interested, it's very likely I would have dropped out. Um, what are you going to bring to the party, Barry? What am I going to bring to the party? Um, well, I, I'm going to... I'd like to think I could be somebody who... who would be involved for the betterment of the community. I am a community person. I'm not a. I'm, I'm not a great lover of government. Uh, truthfully, I'm not. Um, I never have been. I probably never will be. I, I, I work for people. I like people. Um, so, you know, my, my involvement will be primarily for, for the people of Kurt Michael. Um, I, wa- I want to keep an eye on transport links to Kurt Michael. Uh, I, I would like to see the back of Dial a Ride out of Kurt Michael completely. Um, and I intend to use my knowledge in the long term to try to have a better transport services for Kurt Mike. How do you think Dial-A-Ride arrived then? Whose big idea was that? Whose big idea was Dial-A-Ride? Um, Dial-A-Ride is an idea that's about four years old now. Um, this I is basically to- the idea where you call up. It's and a, yeah, a dialer bus. And a bus comes and picks yeah, you dial, up. Dialer bus. Uh, there was two, two different services. Um, it's a very, very long long story, but it was two different um, uh, uh, transport ideas. One was uh, 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 Connect Ports, which was incorporating the um, the, 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 the port, the patient transfer services um, and, and linking them up with the sea terminal and the airport, although the sea terminal idea never came to fruition. And then you had the other idea, which was Connect Villages, which was the um, the, the outer hubs, anything north of Kurt Michael. So anything north of the A3, um, into Balaf, Macult, um, Bride, Andreas, etc., etc., the airs. And, um, and and the idea would that be is if somebody wanted to connect up with, with Ramsey, they would dial a, a, a bus the day before and it would come and pick them up. Um, but for my involvement, you know, I see it as a, having a direct impact on the private sector. Um, I, I believe that the private sector transport industry has it tough enough um, due to many flaws within the system. And, and that, to me, was just enough, one step too far. And, and clearly up there, people don't like it. OK. All right. Thank you, uh, Barry. Thank Let's you. go live to uh, Douglas now. Chris Cave is with us. Chris. Good evening, one and all. There has been a sense of frustration, a bit of anger, I think, from some of the candidates standing in this election due to what you mentioned right at the start of the programme this evening. Those in self-isolation have been unable to vote in this election. Now, the arguments uh, that Tim Baker was trying to put forward in Tinwald this week, that it was a relatively modest number of voters affected and that voter turnout in local authority elections is generally lower. However, speaking to people here at the count at Douglas Town Hall this evening, a baking hot Douglas Town Hall, it has to be said, the impression I've got is that polling stations throughout the day have been fairly busy. So we could be in for a fairly decent turnout here for the local authority elections. And given the standard of candidates and the experience of candidates that are stepping away from the council, 
I'm talking the likes of Carol Crawley, Richie McNichol, Helen Callow, Elizabeth Quirk, the Mayor, John Jockin as well. He's standing for key, so he hasn't put his name forward for this election. We could see a real sea change in Douglas Council. Fresh blood, fresh faces, fresh ideas. And I'm joined by one man who's stepping away from the hot seat after more than 30 years in Douglas Council. David Christian, uh, never short of a word, joins me this evening. David, we often hear that elections are a time for change, people to, uh, to vote for new ideas. And in this election, that's exactly what we could get. Yes, most certainly. I think that's a very good way of living with it. Um, I'd certainly made my mind, or possibly a year ago, when the election should have taken place in um, April 2020, that I think it was time for me to move on then. It was time for change, as you say, new ideas coming into the, the town hall. I've always welcomed new members that have come into the council chamber as well, because they're the latest people to be out speaking to the, the ratepayers. They come in with the new ideas and new suggestions. And... The issues, I'm sure you are still keeping abreast of what is on the, the minds of the voters in Douglas. It has reduced from 18 to 12 councillors in this election as well. So it really is competitive out there more so than ever before. It's very competitive and I must admit I'm hoping that we are going to see a good turnout in the three wards that have been contested because there is a certain amount of confusion as well because we've had candidates going out for the general election in September already um, meeting council, uh, people standing for the local authority election at the same time and of course now it's under the same banner of North, South, East and Central so I think that's caused some confusion um, going around. Um, but I think in the long term it, it was the right move to make, reduce the council from 18 to 12, bring us in line with the four constituencies for the House of Keys, because I've always turned around and said, where should people really come from um, for the House of Keys in Douglas? Well, they should come through the local authority route first. It's a good way of getting a good grounding, a good understanding. During your time in the council, you will have spent time working with various different government departments. I on think strength is really in... Regeneration, the, the promenade. Um, many other different areas where we, our paths cross. So it's a good grounding to come forward. So I think if you're already representing the same constituency, you've got a better chance of being elected. And we've seen that as well in the past. Ray Harmer, who's currently the Policy and Reform Minister, he was uh, spending time on the Board of Peel Commissioners uh, for six years, I think, he was there. We've seen the current Health Minister, who was here on Douglas Council before he made uh, the decision to stand for Keys. What are the issues then, as far as you're concerned, when you go around speaking to voters in Douglas, David, what are they saying to you? It certainly varies from ward to ward, to be honest with you. Unfortunately, I know Andy will love this one because I think he cringes whenever it comes up on the man in line. You always get the, the, the annual one of dog fouling. Um, you know, that, that'll come from door to door every time. But there are a lot bigger issues out there. And it changes where, wherever you're standing. If it's an area where there's lots of social housing, it can be housing issues that many people will raise with you. South Douglas was always a good constituency because it was split pretty much down the middle with Paul Rose, Spring Valley and Annika, social housing, and then on the other side, private housing. So when I was out canvassing, I'd literally go from one side of the road one day and the other side of the other, just to get a different feeling for what people are saying. But there are big issues out there at the moment. Uh, like to the regeneration of the town centre, the promenade in particular, the economy I think has come up more in this election than I've known to come up in local authority elections. I've spoken to several of the candidates and they said it has come up on the door, there's real concerns following Covid, there's concerns about the town centre, is it going to you know, thrive in the future, are we going to see more shops lost? So there are issues like that being discussed at local authority level as well as central government level. You mentioned Covid, this will be known as the Covid election, it's been delayed twice 
because of it. And we've seen a surge in cases recently. People might be a bit hesitant to go from door to door knocking, canvassing and speaking to people face to face. We might have seen a rise in people using social media platforms to get their messages across. We've seen certainly from some of the candidates who are standing in this election that that is a way they do generate a lot of support and a lot of comment. How big a part do you think social media will play in this election and again going forward in any future ballots that we see on the Isle of Man? Well, I think my views are well known on social media. It can be good and it can be bad. I mean, one of the things I've noticed on social media this time, because people keep sending these posts through to me, snapping it and sending it in Messenger, that there's many people turn around saying that they've not received a manifesto. I'm not going to go out and vote. I've not received a manifesto. And then many comments underneath just criticising the candidates. So we've done a bit of an exercise this week. We've looked at some of these names of the people who've said that they haven't received a manifesto. They haven't received a manifesto because they're not on the voters list. That's why they haven't had one. That's why they've had no one knocking at their door. So, again, people comment on it. Don't believe everything you hear on social media. Surely there will be some people, though, uh, who feel that they haven't had any uh, election literature through their doors, and, and that will be a reason for them to take to other platforms to find out more about the candidates. Oh, without a doubt, and I can fully understand that. I would certainly hope that all the candidates standing in Douglas have made a real effort to at least get literature through every door. I know many of them were canvassing early on, uh, I know many of them have actually been told by people not to come further up the driveway, leave your literature with what's going on in the island now. You know, we don't know where you've been with the greatest respect. You've made them knocked on many doors. We don't want you standing on our doorstep talking. That's been said to numerous um, candidates in this election. So I can fully understand that. But I would hope that everybody's at least had literature through their door where at least they can call up uh, on the phone, speak to a, a candidate. But social media, I think most of them this time will have uploaded their manifesto. So those people who, you know, do use social media have had the opportunity to, to actually view it online as well. You know, so from that side of thing, yes, that's another opportunity, another way of getting people involved. But you said this is going to be known as the COVID election. I think it most certainly is. I don't know what the numbers are of the people who are isolated and who have been barred from voting in the three wards in Douglas, let alone the rest of the island. But going by the number of telephones, that the, the telephone calls the town hall, and many other councils have taken during the last couple of days, there's a lot of disgruntled people out there feeling very strongly that their democratic rights have been taken away from them and something should have been put in place. I raised it with the returning officer um, at the town hall to see what could be done. Obviously, there's regulations and we're, we're limited. I've got to stop you there, David. It's an important point, but we've got to hand back to the studio because I believe we are due to hear a result live from a count this evening. Excellent news. All right, thank you, uh, Chris Cave, and thanks to David Christian. We're going to go live to Laxey Working Men's Institute. Chris Pearson at the count for Garth. As the last rays of the July sunshine lit the hills above Laxey, the doors of the Laxey Working Men's Institute, as you mentioned, were closed on the stroke of 8 o'clock. Returning officer Peter Burgess and his team snipped the coloured cable ties from the ballot boxes at 8.30 and the count process began. Of the three wards which make up Garth, only one was being contested today here in, uh, in Lonnon. Uh, we already knew that in Laxey, Asling Creer, Peter Kinnish and Julianne Pinson will be representing their ward. In Macult, it will be Miranda Farger. Uh, Fialga, Stanley James Rysak and James Kevin Smith. Therefore, it was only London War being contested today. The candidates being Melanie Joy Christian, Stuart Clegg, Timothy Garrant Lloyd Peter Kenyon and Andrew James Moore. Overall turnout for London was 34.8% today with a big north-south divide in turnout. 26.4% for London North, 46.4% for London South, out of an electorate of 1,270 people. Returning officer Peter Burgess is now ready to declare London Ward here at the Laxey Working Men's Institute. Under the Local Elections Act 1986, the Local Election Rules 2003, 
the election of three commissioners held on Thursday the 22nd of July 2021 for Garth Carish Parish Commissioners Lon and Ward. This is the notice of candidates elected in a contested election. I hereby give notice that the total number of votes given for each candidate at the above election is as follows. Christian Melanie, 221. Clegg Stewart, 320. Kenyon Timothy, 207. Moore Andrew, 123. Also, the names of the candidates elected are Christian Melanie, Clegg Stewart, Kenyon Tim. A total number of voters voting at the election was 441, um, 38, which was a 34.8% turnout. Uh, there were two ballot papers rejected for the following reasons. Um, they were amended or void for uncertainty. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. We have the uh, successful uh, candidates with us now. I'm going to get uh, them to come and join us here on the stage at the Laxey Working Men's Institute. It's a bit like a, a talent show at the moment. So uh, we've got Stuart, Stuart with us, first of all. Stuart Clay, uh, how are you feeling now off the back of that? Fine. It's gone gone. Oh. Excuse me, far better than I had expected. What was it like campaigning during sort of some very different times at the moment? Um, well, luckily the weather was very good, which was a big help. And we had um, two good friends to help us, so we got around it and we left it. We ran out of time, so we had to do it all within the last three or four days. <clears throat> We've got some big issues to address now as you move, move forward, not least of which it seems like a lifetime ago, but laxy flooding hasn't gone away as an issue, has it? Well, flooding, um, they've done a lot of work. They've done a, to uh, repair the area, build walls, extra drainage and everything else. But <clears throat> I would have to say the people that have voted for me are really voting for a proper sewerage system. That's what they want. They, want this, they don't want any more sewerage, <coughs> excuse my throat, any more sewerage going into Laxey or Garwick Bay. They want it pumped properly to Douglas and done properly, like um, Castletown and Port Aaron have. Properly looked after at Maryberg. And uh, that's, that, that's who voted for me, the people that wanted the sewage right. Fantastic, Stuart. Uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. I've got Mel with me now as Mel. Uh, as well. <laughs> Mel, how are you feeling? I'm just delighted. I've been elected. Really, really pleased. Uh, we were just talking a little bit there about the sewage uh, treatment issues here in uh, for Laxey in particular. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's crazy. We, you know, I do a lot of sea swimming myself, and to think that we're still pumping raw sewage into the bay in this day and age, it really is something I think universally everyone agrees needs to be sorted as soon as possible. Other issues uh, here, obviously, we've seen a, a merger of smaller areas to come together to form uh, GAF. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it, 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 it it's a good way for democracy to move forward? I think it is because sometimes working together can, it's easier to get an outcome. Um, I think representing London, though, I think it's quite important that we don't forget London in this because since the merger, um, it, I think sometimes people in London feel they're a bit forgotten and they're paying for maybe just having their bins emptied once a week. So I want to make sure that we are actually being still part of it and not all the money is just going into the bigger areas in Garth. 
Fantastic, Mel, congratulations. And the final of our successful candidates here today, uh, we have uh, Tim Kenyon with us. Tim, come forward a little bit if you can. Uh, fantastic stuff. Congratulations, first of all. Uh, what, what are you feeling right now? Well, it was a hard-fought uh, campaign, and uh, you know, all three of us did pretty well, I guess. What's the reaction we're getting on the doorstep in terms of, obviously, it's COVID times and, and everything else. Were, were people keen to engage and talk? Oh, yeah, people were very keen to talk, and lots of issues were discussed, and... Um, it was good to engage with people and hear their views and I've, I've written them all down and so I'm going to present them to our chairman, chair lady as, as soon as uh, I can and hopefully we can get some results on the issues that people are concerned about. The current, I should say, last GAF commissioners uh, were talking about post office mergers as well. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I want to keep Laxey post office. Here in Lonham we've lost uh, Baldrine post office and so it's really important that uh, we keep our Laxey post office and I don't want it going off and um, people have to go to Douglas or Ramsey. Fantastic, Tim. Congratulations. Thank you very Thank much you. for joining us tonight. So that's the uh, the result then from uh, from London. The only of the three wards being contested here today, the successful candidates, Melanie Joy Christian, Stuart Clegg and Timothy Garrant, Lloyd Peter Kenyon. Thank you, uh, Chris Pearson, reporting live from... Um, he was live at Laxey Working Men's Institute. And congratulations, Mel Christian, Stuart Clegg, and Tim Kenyon as well, sadly defeated Andrew Moore. Just to uh, r- r- draw a line round everything for Garth, uh, Laxey Ward was uncontested. Aileen Creer, uh, Peter Kinnish, and Julie Pinson uh, were elected. In Mackled Ward, uncontested, Marinda Farga, uh, Stanley Ryzak, and uh, James Smith. Now, Jamie Smith is actually standing for keys. So they could be a hole in uh, Mackold Ward in the future. And as uh, Chris was pointing out uh, to the candidates, to the successful candidates, still um, the the commissioners in uh, Garth are going to be talking about Laxey and Boldrang sewage works and flooding and the coastal wall, Ewan. It's not going away. And I think Stuart Clegg uh, really has been one of the embodiments of the best for Laxey group, which is the big group that formed as a reaction to the proposal to put a sewage treatment facility right in the middle of the the village by the harbour there they really didn't want it i mean we see community action from time to time but this was sustained this was a passionate and they really wanted a different solution the difficulty for manx utilities is Laxey is a valley. It's very hard yes. to pump things back up. Well, pump or dump, they were saying, weren't they, as well? Pump and dump. a pump will need a flipping big pump and one that never fails. Yeah, well, I don't want to risk the ire of the best for Laxey Group, who have put an enormous amount of effort into working at these alternative solutions. But Manx Utilities were sent back to the drawing board. And I think it's been a theme in Laxey. We had the seawall issue as well with the proposal uh, for a wall along the front uh, of the, to protect against coastal overtopping. There was Again, there was a reaction to that. So I think uh, the people of Laxey, well, Lonnon Ward, of course, as well, Stuart Clegg's ward there, uh, but the Garth Commission more generally, they know what they want in that area. And, uh, and as Mel Christian said, who would have thought in this day and age you'd be still putting sewage out to sea? And you can see it as well. And, of course, Laxey got flooded. A hole in a wall caused a flood in the 21st century on a, on a first world island. And it's a popular beach. It's a popular place to walk around Laxey, isn't it? And I think we'll be going to Peel later, hopefully. Fingers crossed they've got a lot of cash.
candidates. There might be quite a late result there. But that's another place where this issue, Peel and Laxey, this remaining issue has not been solved. Yes. OK. Uh, right. We're out and about uh, broadcasting uh, right around the Isle of Man tonight. You heard William King in Castletown. Chris Cave is in Douglas. We'll have that. Uh, Count obviously will have the result as well. Chris uh, Pearson in uh, Garth at Laxey Working Men's Institute. Uh, Beth Espy is in Peel. Alex Brindley in Onken. We've already heard John Moss at Santon with, uh, Santon with the result. Uh, but I think we're going to head over to... Um, uh, I think possibly we'll be going to the north of the island fairly shortly. Uh, but the issues around the Isle of Man, and this is, uh, you and I just want to talk as to how much impact a commissioner, a councillor can actually make. And uh, David Christian was talking about social media. That is the medium of the age when people start campaigns. So how does local politics fit into this matrix? How does it get into people's lives? Well, I think commissioners have an enormous impact on things that people don't realise they actually really care about. So a lot of the big structural things about Manx politics that we get annoyed about, you know, that's not really within the remit of commissioners, but things like, oh, I wish there was a a doggy bag disposal area here, or I wish they'd take the bins out another day, or maybe they should leave them for a week, or there should be a light put in there or a drop curb put in there. Those are the things that make an enormous difference to people's lives. And those are the kind of things that commissioners and councillors can fight for. And having that local level lens, you know, maybe that's a blessing. Maybe you can actually do more. And some people would argue that there are always commissioners that act like MHKs. Mm. Some people say there are MHKs that act like commissioners. Um, but I think knowing what you can achieve using social media, yeah. you know, blaming the national politicians when you have to, you know, these are all tools in that box. Let's go to the north of the island now. I think we've got uh, the result from Jerby Parish Hall, Jerby and Simon Clark. Yes, good evening, everybody. We've got uh, the result here, the air conditioning on in the Jerby Parish Hall. Well, they've opened the doors anyway, so uh, all good news. Uh, of course, the nine candidates for the five seats so uh, to get all the details i'll hand you over to the returning officer stephen bevan thank you i have to announce the results of the poll taken today for the election of five members of jerby parish commissioners for the period 1st august 2021 until the 30th of april 2025 simon thomas bampton 54 kelly louise Charman, 135. Danielle Elaine Crow, 89. Nicholas Lyndon Crow, 13. Darren Hope, 112. Louise Jane Kennedy, 133. Sarah Jane Melvin, 116. John Pickles, 98. Lee Quaggin, 134. I therefore declare that Kelly Louise Charman of 17 Snaefell View, Darren Hope, 4 St. Patrick's View, Louise Jane Kennedy, Kennedy 9 St. Patrick's View, Sarah Jane Melvin, 1, sorry, number 3 St. Patrick's View, and Lee Quaggin, 15 the Bretney, duly elected to serve on Jerby Parish Commissioners until 30th of April 2025. I rejected one paper on account of there being more marks than there were for vacancies, and the turnout was 41.75%. I'd like to thank all those involved in the election today, particularly to the 
tellers and pole carts and counters. Thank you. There we are. That's the, the result from Derby. Uh, the five elected for the uh, seats that are available from the nine candidates. We'll just get a, yeah, we'll get a couple of interviews now. If uh, uh, Kelly, you come forward first. So, Kelly Jarman, uh, congratulations, elected onto the Derby Commissioners. It's uh, it's been an unusual one this one because there's so many new candidates uh, wanted to get involved in Derby Commissioners. I mean, they hadn't don't have many elections, but uh, this one, what a turnout! Even to the you know the candidates that didn't didn't make it through, it's been a fantastic turnout, and I'm sure they'll be back for another day. But to top the poll, um, been part of Derby for many years, Kelly. Yeah. Uh, well done. I'm kind of gobsmacked, that doesn't happen often. But yeah, I just want to thank everyone who's come out to vote, whether they voted for me or not. I think it's been an amazing turnout for the parish. You know, we've got a small parish and we have gotten a great turnout. And, you know, there was a lot, there were strong candidates. So, you know, it was a really tough, tough fight. Yeah, because obviously you're involved in it with the with the nursery side of the children. Um, so that part of it, there's a lot that can happen in Jerby in the future, isn't there? And that's, I think, what, all the people who who made a, a bid for to get into the commissioners have, have tried for. Definitely, I mean, Derby is an area that has that can develop and go forwards, and I think that a lot of small, small businesses need to move out of he, out here. We need to get the infrastructure in place, more housing, and it's definitely a parish that people need to keep an eye on for the future because good things are coming. Yeah, good. Yeah, so well, well done. Okay, we'll get a chat with uh, Lee Quaggan as well um, if he wants to come over. Yeah, he was uh, second because uh, you think the, the top three here won three five votes. Lee, uh, one hundred thirty-four. It's a, it's a, been a nerve-wracking day, but um, it's great to see the interest. I think so. I think it's been uh, certainly shown that there was a lot of interest in Jerby. There was a lot of people stepped up to vote, and yeah, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, what's uh, is there anything in particular on your agenda or is it what do you hear when you when you go around the, the village here? I think a lot of it is just about communication. It's about opening up uh, the accessibility of the commissioners to the residents, be able to take their ideas on board and see where we go with them. Uh, yeah. a, there's a lot of empty space in Jerby, isn't there? An awful lot of empty space. Uh, it's kind of why we like it. But things have to change as well, so it's a, it's a case of managing what's what's out there and what we need to do to keep the village going. Yeah, and uh, Louise, uh, she's uh, Louise Kennedy. Let's get a chat with her. She's trying to sneak off, so she's been given a, a piece of paper, an official one. But Louise, uh, 133 votes, only a vote between the top three, so uh, very close. But, uh, I mean... You've got a bit of experience, obviously, with the with the union side of things in the post office. We'll mention that to start with. But I mean, what what what's the main reason why you stood for this election? The main reason was we need affordable housing. We need representatives here to bring something to Derby to keep the community alive and bring people back who want to stay in the village. A lot of people, um, to be fair, I mean, it, it, everyone will agree Derby had a a bit of a, a poor name over the years but the people that's in there now there is a great community it's got a great shop there but there is so much potential for more what people say that the empty spaces that we've got um, 
there's a great chance to fill them with something, certainly. There most definitely is, yeah. I mean, we've got so much potential and, you know, this just shows from the amount of people that voted, the amount of people that stood for the election, that people do want to do something within Jerby and fill those spaces. Yeah. Another medical centre? Um, I'm not quite sure about that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Congratulations, anyway. Um, and Sarah, we'll get a word with you as well, because uh, Darren Hope, he is... Uh, I'm not sure if he's in here, actually, but uh, he's not. Sarah, um, congratulations. You're on the commissioners as well. Um, there's a, a, a lot of change, and a lot of people around the village said because a lot of the ones stood down this year but it was great to see the interest that people wanted to try and get in there and try and do something at least it is the interest that's uh, generated this time around has been phenomenal i mean there's nothing that's happened out in jb like this for for as long as i can remember so it's great to see such a such positivity and people willing to throw the hat in the ring yeah and it's it's i think everyone that was here all the candidates all all get on in their own way and they've all got their different opinions so i think that'll be good sitting around a table yeah we'll definitely i mean we're we're definitely a diverse bunch that's for sure um there might be a few crosswords but they'll all be forgotten as soon as they're said and stuff like that and yeah definitely we've all got different opinions and i think it'll be a good mix and be nice to get things done good stuff well done thanks simon there we go so that's uh, that's all from uh, jerby here um the 41.75 percent turnout there you go fantastic and, uh, people that- worrying about voting anyway back to you Andy thanks uh, very much Simon Clark well we can say for many reasons Jerby has uh, made the running 41.75% turnout Ewan Uh, the 2016 was uncontested Uh, but how many there what eight nine candidates as well five from nine elected and three women we were just talking to Christina about representation of women. So Jerby now has uh, three uh, females and uh, two males as well. Uh, great job in Jerby. Oh, it's so positive to see that. And, you know, there are always going to be people when we're talking about local authorities who, you know, denigrate the smaller authorities and just say, you know, what a waste. But, you know, Jerby bouncing back here and showing that there is a local interest in local politics and local people representing those communities well, i think it's interesting because uh, i mean democracy is democracy whether it's local democracy national democracy continental democracy whatever it is everybody has a vote and particularly in jerby i mean coastal erosion is a big issue in jerby it's something that commissioners uh, pay a lot of attention to as well they were talking about the lack of mixed housing allowing you know jerby to grow and get bigger uh, i want to go now to uh, a um, uh, some from uh, down south of the isle of man and a, a, a very adept uh, commissioner, Jane Glover's with us. Good evening, Jane. Good evening, Andy. How are you? Well, we're very well as well. Um, how are you feeling? You're obviously engaged in this. Um, how are things with you? And what do you think of the evening so far? Um, the Jerby one was really heartening. I mean, that's a great turnout. And as you say, um, just because it's a smaller authority, it doesn't mean to say it doesn't have a beating heart. Um, and that's what's coming out because I was slightly concerned um, that the turnout wasn't going to be very good. Um, but that's not bad at 41 percent. Now, Aubrey and Russian, uh, uh, <coughs> who you represent, of course, uncontested. Is that disappointing because it's a new merger? Obviously, it's been in place uh, for some time now. But are you disappointed you couldn't get off to the start of having sort of that, that directly democratic mandate? Uh, yes, I personally was, um, and the irony is there were two other people um, 
that were interested in standing um, for the authority. One actually filed papers but then withdrew them. Um, and the other one, bless him, um, he wanted to just be reassured that his um, authority had enough candidates, but he didn't want to stand against uh, the existing commissioners because they thought they were doing a good job. Um, but I would have quite liked to have a voted public mandate, personally. Now, Aubrey and uh, um, Russian are continuing that spirit that we're seeing. We saw it in Garth. Uh, we've seen it in, in board reductions of local authority reform. Yeah, you know, two authorities uh, merging. Do you think that's the way forward based on the experience of the two authorities merging so far? Do you think that's the way forward maybe for those smaller authorities rather than have d d reform pushed on them by government? Do you think if they do it themselves, that's the way? I think potentially, yes. Um, but what we have to bear in mind is um, for Russian and Arbery, uh, we were both rural authorities, and if you took our um, bank accounts, they had um, a, a similar structure to the, the way the monies are, uh, are spent. Um, if you were to try to merge with, say, one of the towns in the south of the island, that would be a very different picture and a lot more complicated. Um, but yes, certainly um, in areas where there are a group of authorities with a similar structure, I think it should be considered. And I want to ask you on a personal level, what can commissioners do to help their community? I know particularly you were involved at uh, public meetings in Balabeg about speeding, uh, for example, but some sort of uh, say that commissioners, your powers are limited. What can you do? As a commissioner, yes, it can be frustrating sometimes, um, is that you will be feeding back to perhaps the government department. And it feels like you're banging against a closed door, but you, you have to keep banging. Um, and sometimes that will actually pay off for you. Um, and I think something that's very important for our particular authority is the community building work that we, we started last year um, and probably were already doing before that. Um, so community really matters to authority. And I think if you have strong communities, it has so many beneficial effects. Um, if people are well supported, whether it be through the, the housing they have, um, if they've got good connections, um, you tend to find that things like mental health, um, there are less issues in, in that sort of area. Um, and people feel more engaged with their commissioners because they feel connected through, through the community events that take place. Uh, Jane, you uh, uh, obviously um, uh, Arbery and Russian get involved. Uh, I think sit on the board of the Southern Civic Community Site, Marashan Crescent uh, Housing Committee as well, Southern Local Authority Swimming Pool Board. Uh, tell me, what does a commissioner do within within those structures? Um, well, for example, if you take the Southern Civic Community Site, um, the Southern one was the first of the immunity sites to be constructed on the Isle of Man. And I think some of the other sites benefited um, with the learning curve from the site. Um, but the members, when they, they meet, they can talk about the different options, the different possibilities. Um, so, for example, for the amenity site, they can find different ways to recycle extra streams of, of waste. Um, so they do have a voice, they do have an input uh, in the decisions that are made jointly between the boards. Um, with the sheltered housing, there was a merger last year. Um, so the Marashan joined with the Castletown housing and it means you, you've got a bigger stock of housing um, and one waiting list. 
uh, and tell me, what did the commissioners do? I know you did. Everybody knows you did. But just tell me, what did the commissioners do during COVID? Some people stepped up. Some people really, really made a difference. Yes. Um, the idea came from um, Russian Commissioner Graham Flukas um, that during the, the COVID pandemic, there needed to be some sort of support structures put in place um, for parishioners. Um, so we came up with the Connect scheme. Um, the response that we had was incredible. Um, it was a call to arms. Um, we need people. Um, it could have been just simply delivering shopping. Um, as the scheme evolved, um, we were able to collect benefits for people. Um, so really, it was it was a network of volunteers that was organised through the commissioners um, that supported people during the pandemic. I mean, there were there were some people, um, and they had complex needs. And there'll be four or five different volunteers that were assisting them through the process. Um, so for me, um, it was a massive team effort. Okay, Jane, thanks for being with us, and thanks for contributing as well. Congratulations, and uh, I hope all goes well for the next five years. Thank you very much, Andy. Good to Take talk care. to you. You and Gorn. Faster my Andy. Well, good evening. Now, we've been joined by a couple more guests in the studio uh, this evening, but we understand the Castletown count uh, is about to be uh, read out shortly. So we will speak to Tony Brown, former chief minister, former Castletown commissioner. Now, um, uh, good evening, Tony. Thanks for coming along. Um, first and foremost, Castletown commissioners. Um, how do you describe Castletown commissioners? That's a very uh, personal question. <laughs> <laughs> Not the individual. I think it would be better to describe Castletown and its commissioners. No, uh, I mean, a town authority has a local authority um, to look after local affairs, and I think that these changes are the things that have made a big difference and uh, are impacting on how now the local authorities can actually look after their own area. Now, there are, let me see, I think 10 candidates, seven seats available as well. Uh, four of them are, are new nominations as well. Uh, so we'll be finding out fairly shortly. I think um, uh, it is uh, William King who's going to be bro uh, with us live from Castle Town uh, Town Hall, the polling station at the Town Hall on Farrant's Way. Counts there as well. Hugo uh, McKenzie is the uh, returning officer. So let's uh, see if we can find um, uh, William King, I think, live in Castle. Oh, we'll go to William in just a few moments' time. I just want to go to, I mean, Tony Brown. You started off. Uh, as a commissioner, and, and you've told this story many, many times, so tell it again. How did you become a commissioner, and what did a disco have to do with it? <laughs> well, I used to be a DJ in an organisation called the uh, 7.30 Disco, which was a voluntary club of uh, teenagers who ran it for the town because there was absolutely nothing at all to do in those days. And, of course, don't forget, we didn't have televisions like there are now. We didn't have computers or anything. So our playgrounds were the streets, mm. and... Uh, a few of us got fed up and we set up a disco. I got involved in that. I got involved in youth work. And eventually I drifted into politics, I suppose, is the nice way to put it. OK. Uh, in the meantime, you'd had a motorbike accident and were, were, were convalescing and thinking about going into politics. You topped the poll, didn't you? I did, yeah. We had a 64% turnout and I topped the poll. How much canvassing did you do? Uh, 
reasonable amount is yeah. about the best. I mean, it was straight after a House of Keys general election, so we had very short time to go knocking yeah. on doors, and it was very difficult to get round, to be honest. Tell me what you felt like. Can you can you remember your emotions on that night when they said, you know, you'd top the poll, that you were a commissioner? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was 26 years of age. I was in total shock. And uh, Don't forget, I'd been a long-haired motorbike rider who was a DJ, um, and... Uh, it was quite a shock when I topped the poll. I hoped I would get in. I didn't know if I would. Um, we had commissioners who'd been there quite some years. And uh, there were three of us who stood who were new, and three of us got in. In those days, of course, there was three in, ev- uh, three new seats filled every year. So there was three in, three out uh, each year. And there was a board of nine. Um, I, it was absolutely ecstatic. I mean, the count didn't finish till after 12 o'clock at night and the police had to bring extra resources down to the square because there were so many people in the square waiting for the results. What was, your, what was your reception like in the chamber? Oh, great. I mean, the commissioners were absolutely fantastic. I mean, I was very fortunate. Um, most of them, whilst, you know, commissioners are become politicians, um, their whole um, sort of being was to say what we do is for the town and the people of the town. And they were very, very keen to encourage me to do what I thought was right. Um, they were keen to help me understand how the system worked. And not just myself, there were two other new members. And uh, they were really, really helpful, very inclusive. Um, yes, we still disagreed over things, but their main priority, and I think this has been a big difference in some local authorities, their main priority was for us all to work collectively for the good of the town. Uh, lots of uh, commissioners and councillors have progressed to the House of Keys mm-hmm. as well. How would you, would you view local authorities, local politicians, almost as an apprenticeship if you want to go higher? Well, I'm not sure it's an apprenticeship, but I think it makes a massive difference for anyone who's been at local government level who then gets elected into uh, the House of Keys. Um, the workload and the type of work is dramatically different, except you de- you're dealing with the people who elect you and you're dealing with your area and the principles of dealing with politics are the same of course you know it's about making decisions the big difference in uh, the house of keys is of course you you have to uh, consider legislation and that has a massive impact on how the arm goes forward would you recommend getting involved in local politics I would. I think there's an issue at the moment. Uh, I think local government's in a bit of a mess because in the last 10 years or so, government has, by stealth, disjointed local government because they've made changes and you're now having things being done by officers that used to be done by politicians. Um, You've got over half the rates that are set come from government services. Um, and, And I think it's causing a problem because you've got local authority members, and we had it in Castletown at our open meeting, the public meeting, the hostings meeting, where there was clear frustration from the candidates who, who'd been commissioners that, in fact, it doesn't matter what they say, government just wants to do it and that's the end of it. And, and when I say government, I mean a lot of it is dealing with officers who are professionals and they see it in a slightly different way, but they do feel frustrated that even when they try and talk to ministers or members with responsibilities, they listen but nothing happens and they have real difficulty. OK, let's see what's happening in Castletown live with William King. William... We're with Hugo McKenzie on the roof of Castletown Civic Hall and he's going to make the declaration. I, Hugo Fraser McKenzie, being the returning officer for Castletown election, hereby give notice that the number of votes recorded for each candidate at the said election is as follows. Cannon, Elspeth Esther, 387. Cubbon, James Richard, 485. Horton, Jamie Charles Frederick, 488. 
Lever, Colin, 258. Ludford Brooks, Jeremy Martin Vivian, 311. Parnell, David John, 244. Quine, Carol Barber, 366. Quinney, Eleanor Dawn, 368. Rogers, Nathan Bradley, 213. Rousseau, Susan Mary, 188. I do hereby declare that the candidates elected to serve for the period to the 30th of April 2025 are Jamie Horton, Jimmy Cobbin, Beth Cannon, Dawn Quinney, Carol Quine, Jerry Ludford Brooks and Colin Lever. Turnout was 34.6%. Thank you very much to Hugo there. Seven seats and five returned candidates. There was always going to be one new candidate in Castletown after Richard McAleer announced his retirement. As I said, we're up on the roof of Castletown Town Hall at the minute. We will have interviews with the winners when I can get down off this roof <laughs> to find them. <laughs> William, thank you. Don't fall down. <laughs> Ewan? Uh, yeah, a uh, great... Real changing of the guard. I think Tony might have some more insight uh, on this, but just looking at the winners, I mean, um, uh, J Jamie Horton, of course, coming top of the poll with 488. Uh, I have just scrolled uh, scrolled all this down on my pad, so you'll have to uh, forgive me if it's not that accurate. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, as we heard um, uh, Richard McAleer standing down, uh, but it seems like an influx of new faces uh, they could be returning old faces again. I'll defer to Tony because I'm not quite sure. But it, it does seem to be a changing away from the current board. But some of the members of the current board there do do seem to have performed quite well uh, with the number of votes. But good to see the votes in the hundreds. But again, it's 34% turnout. Now, I don't know whether that's a good thing uh, for Castletown. I think we've got the result here from the last 40%. 40%, 40%, yeah, 41%. Yeah. So the... again, a dip. But how much do we put down to the, the COVID isolation issue? Yeah. How much do we put down to the fact there's a general election in the key soon and people, uh, you know, it's hard to extrapolate. Do you know any things. personalities there, Tony? Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I know most of them and certainly I know all of them. I've met them all. Um, in fact, you know, the, the changes are... Uh, not massive because most of the uh, sitting members have been re-elected. Um, Beth uh, Cannon has done extremely well, 387. It's the first time that she's uh, stood. Um, you've even got some of the ones who've been there quite a while, Colin Leather, Jerry Ludford Brooks um, and Jamie Horton. They've all done very well, Carol Quine. So, I mean, the actual voting is, is actually, if you look at it, is very close together, which means that people have exercised most, if not all, the candidates when they've been voting. Do you think there's too many seats in Castletown? Do you think it should be, because we've seen other boards in the south going from maybe nine or seven down to five. Uh, what's your view on the number of seats? Do you think that's a good thing, having many seats or not? Well, it, I think the issue is it, that starts at the wrong end. You need, we still have a big problem in the Isle of Man. Nobody has sat down and determined what we want for local government. It's not about seats. It's not about the area. It's about the services and the funding of those services. We have a rate system uh, that is defunct. It's absolutely terrible. It causes hardship for many. There's no relief for people through the rate system. Uh, whereas there is in taxation and we've offloaded a number of the major services like water rates, uh, refuse and uh, sewage onto the rate system. 
and the people who made the decisions, and I was one of them in government, made the decisions we made that they would be 100% funded by government and therefore we determined the policies and how they would work. That has been transferred over, or a lot of the cost, and it's actually causing a major problem because in Castletown, for example, over half the rate uh, bill, if you like, people get actually relates to those three things which are actually controlled by government. So you get commissioners frustrated because they see the only way they can get extra money is to support building houses, when in their heart, lots of them don't actually want lots of new houses around the areas they live in. They want some, but not on the scale that are happening. And the only reason they support it, I would suggest, in most cases, is because they see that that increases the rate income that gives them more money to spend on what they want for their area. Okay, William King has come safely down from the roof with a microphone in front of somebody. Who are you there with, William? I'm with one of the two newly elected members of Castletown Commissioners, Andy. It's Dawn Quinney. Dawn, how are you feeling? Uh, Good evening, everybody. Um, I'm absolutely overwhelmed and I'm absolutely delighted. And I'd like to just say thank you to everybody for turning out today and also for voting for me. Thank you. Why do you think you were successful? Um, I don't know. I don't know, because I mean... That's all right. That's all right. They're genuinely speechless over here. Um, right. So what is what's one of the main things you've said you want to achieve as a commissioner? Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a community person anyway, so hopefully to help the town more and people in this town in itself. Obviously, I've done about the housing situation. There's a dog foul and then because I do a lot of walking as well, so I've noticed different side of the country. There's quite a list. Very good. Well, we wish you all the best and many congratulations. And with Colin Leather now, Colin, you were first elected, I think, 1980, is that right? Something like that, yes. Well, you're still going to be there for another few years in Castletown Town Commissioners. What makes you stick around for so long? I just love this town. I'm pleased that it's going places. And we've just really got to carry on with the work that we've started. And hopefully we'll have a town for everybody to be proud of. Brilliant. I was hoping to catch Beth Cannon, but she's on the phone sharing the good news. She is the other um, newly elected member of the commissioners. The headline here, Andy, is that David Parnell, the current chairman, has not been re-elected. We have two new members of Castletown commissioners. We have three women and four men. And we'll hand back to you in Douglas. William King, thank you. We'll call him Flying Billy from now on. Local Democracy Live on Manx Radio tonight, live through till 12 midnight. We're at Seven Counts, Castletown, Douglas, Garth, Jerby, Oncom, Peel and Santon. We've already had Castletown and Garth and Jerby and Santon. Let's uh, just see what's happening in Douglas. Chris Cave is with us now. Hi, Chris. Yes, because while it is a night of delight for those who do get in, it is also a night of political casualties. That is bound to happen across the evening. We've seen that in Castletown with the chair there, David Parnell, not being re-elected. We're bound to see it here in Douglas as well because of the reduction in the size of the council and the constituencies now mirroring that of the keys. In Douglas Central alone, all four candidates who are standing are already on the council, meaning one of them is not going to be re-elected. Now, Carol Crawley joins me now. She's stepping away from local politics after 14 years. So you've got that experience. We were speaking to David Christian earlier about the fresh blood which could be coming into the council. How important is it, though, that you have people who are aware of how the processes uh, of council work? Obviously, the fresh blood is good. 
um, but you do need that experience. Um, a counsellor isn't just a, a nine to five job, it's a 24 hour job, it, you're on call, you're a public figure um, and you do need some you do need some in the council, council with experience. You can't have a new set of councillors come in and expect it to run um, to any value. Why do you think there are so many who have given years of service to the public here in Douglas? Why do you think there are so many of them who are not seeking re-election this time around? I don't think it's got anything to do with the reducing the numbers, certainly not for myself. Um, I think COVID has a, a, quite a large aspect of why people aren't standing. Um, quite a few members felt very uncomfortable knocking on doors. Um, quite a few, for, I think for years to come now, this is going to be the COVID election. That's what it'll be nicknamed. Um, there are different reasons. People feel that they've had sufficient time in the council to try and do what they want to do. Personally, I've tried to get the value for the ratepayers um, to make sure that the the costs are borne by the tax rather than the ratepayers because Douglas was getting a double whammy. So for me, I came in not to change the world, as I said, but purely just to help the ratepayers of Douglas and get them a bit more value for money. And I'm sure you'll miss certain elements of being on the council. Maybe not, I don't know. But um, surely fresh ideas is a good thing. It's important that we do get new candidates coming forward and, and hopefully taking Douglas and all the other authorities when you get new candidates standing taking those places to better things yeah absolutely fresh um, you know fresh candidates fresh members really good thing um, for me I haven't actually missed today's election at all um, I find it very stressful you go knocking on doors and people say you haven't knocked on their doors so for me I'm going to miss the council work I will um, but I had to sort of take a look at my life, see where I was going. Uh, 14 years, I thought, was a substantial amount of years to serve the people of Hillsward. And um, I thought it was a fresh time for me to give somebody else that, that chance to, to help the ratepayers of Douglas. And let's look at the changing face of the council, because when you look at some of the candidates, you've got Peter Washington, uh, Samuel Hamer, Devon Watson of Manx Labour, you've got Andrew Bentley of the Green Party. Do you think we are moving towards party politics, even if not at central government level, at local level? Yes, I think local level. Um, I mean, obviously, we have got three Labour Party and one Green Party. I do think it's moving that way. I'm not entirely sure that it works. but um, Why not? I don't know. I think with the Liberal Vanin, as you well know, I, I was a part of the Liberal Vanin party and I think um, sometimes the values aren't the way you want to vote in council and you do have to go with the, with the party votes. It does come down to compromise, to work together, to bring about change. Does it not make it easier, though, for those who go to the ballot box, if they see candidates who are all part of the same way of thinking, they'll think, well, I'll give those a cross in the box because... Um, they fit with my, my way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, a vote for a candidate shouldn't be just because you know them. It should be because you feel that they can work best for you and whether that's a party ideas or whether it's independent ideas, it's whether that candidate can actually um, come, come up with the goods that you need or give you the value of money that you need. After 14 years, you're stepping away. What do you see as the key issues facing the people of Douglas and this council for the next four-year term? Um, 
dog fouling. That's always the one, isn't it? Dog fouling is um, a, a blight on everybody's foot, should we say. Um, I think generally the housing situation has eased slightly. Um, obviously, we've got new developments that have been put through since in, in the last 14 years that I've been in the council. Um, I, I think mainly it's the small issues, um, overgrown hedges, um, lighting, street lighting. Is that, are those the type of issues when you speak to people uh, just in the street? Um, it's not about changing the world, as you said before. It's about changing those little things in our community, in our society, which do make small improvements to our lives, but noticeable ones. Yeah, yeah. Local authority is the small improvements. National authority, the the um, general election in September will be um, more of the legislation, I would say, issues, whereas the councillor deals with the smaller local issues, hence local authority. You're not part of the count tonight in terms of expecting a result for yourself, but you know plenty of people who are involved. It's a, a stressful time. You know about that. Obviously, you're not going to be part of the next council, but is there anything that you regret not doing while you were part of this local authority for 14 years? Anything that springs to mind that you think, I wish I'd have pushed harder for that? Nothing that springs to mind, no. Like I say, I went in more so to try and give Douglas ratepayers value for money um, rather than using, for, for example, the NSC, um, the bowl. That was owned by the council. It was paid for by the ratepayers and it was also paid for by the taxpayers. So Douglas ratepayers were getting double whammied. They were getting charged with the rates and charged with the tax. And that was the sort of thing that I initially came in for. So no, I don't think I have any regrets. Carol Crawley, thanks very much for your time. We'll head back to you in the studio, Andy. Uh, Chris Cave, thank you. Just to uh, reiterate what's happened, obviously Douglas is now North Ward, Central Ward, East Ward and South Ward, replacing Athol Ward, Murray's Ward, Victoria Ward, Derby Ward, St John's Ward and uh, Hills Ward it was as well. Uh, Douglas South, uncontested, obviously Stephen Crellin, Frank uh, Schengel and Claire Wells are back uncontested, the rest of them, including where I voted today uh, in Douglas Central, but I won't tell you... Uh, how I uh, how I voted, but it's just great. And there was a big queue outside uh, um, uh, St Matthew's uh, All Saints Church Hall. I was at today. Good to see, but we found out because we've got the result from uh, well, not the result, I should say, one of the turnout indications from Onken, uh, which twenty three. Uh, 0.95%. Well, they're only halfway through the count as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that looks like the lowest score we've got tonight. Um, But we're joined by uh, James Cherry, who's a former Onken commissioner. Uh, Now, people might remember Mr Cherry um, from the manner in which he departed, but we will get to that in a moment. Now, uh, James, just your reaction uh, to that turnout figure. Um, I think it's, um, I wouldn't say a surprise, but it's a bit disappointing as well. Um... But I think there's a there's a number of reasons behind it. Um, I think everyone's quite aware in the here and now with the COVID that's going on and a lot of people in isolation. But that's what the law is, and if they've, they've got COVID, they can't vote. But do I you think, think that's had a bearing today tonight? I on think so. Yeah, I think I don't think just on Ankara, but I think overall, I think there's much more to it though. I think a lot of people in Ankara have a lot of apathy um, for the board or for. Um, for the commissioners in general I think a lot of them feel disenfranchised as well with what's gone on recently um, within the past few months and even 18 18 months to two years ago when I left um, 
Well, well, you mentioned it there, but with Onken, it's been headline after headline after headline. And if you're in that board, you could probably agree that none of them are good headlines. Um, oh, God, no. What is it about Onken commissioners that seems to dog the board? Whatever they do, they seem to almost turn over a new page and then they're plunged back into the same sort of drama. I think there's a lot of people there. Well, not a lot of people. I think there is a small minority who are there who want to micromanage. And they want to do everything but don't want to do the work sometimes. Um, that's how I felt it at times. Was, um, someone else could do the work, but they want to take all the glory. Not on. Uh, James, just tell us about the uh, the older housing and getting mm. stuff up to date in Onken. Why hasn't that happened? It's been going on for a long, long time. It was going on when I, I was there, and even when I was in charge of housing. Um, I was in charge for the best part of two and a half years. Um and the major assets, Springfield and Haywood Court. Um, you've got more issues with Springfield Court because it's on different levels, so it's a bit more awkward. Um, Haywood Court's a bit more easy. It's a more modern complex, um, but they are big, mi- uh, massive financial assets. In and the I mean, were, were policy decisions taken regarding upgrading housing in Onken? Oh, yeah, they were. I mean, we... Um, are renowned, or Onken is renowned for having some of the best quality social housing stock. And what we noticed when I f- first went in is that if you give um, a tenant a good, high-quality house, you will get it back in the same state. Now, I've been privy to seeing some of the state, the, the Douglas housing, and it's disgraceful. If I was a tenant, even a landlord, I'd be disgusted with it. It, some of it was downright horrible, and how people lived in it sometimes was just abominable. Um, but Onkens, I'll defend it. We spent more than maybe what we should have, but you make you put in, an investment into a. It is a big investment into a housing. We have, um, I think it was 501 housing units. That's including all the housing. Um, and the flats within the the elderly persons complexes, um, and it is well maintained for what they can do. Um, yes, the elderly complexes needed updating, and something needs to be done. But I think, to be quite honest, if you want to be brutal about it, Springfield Court needs knocking down and and rebuilding because it isn't really fit for purpose anymore. But there's not much adaptations you can do with what space you've got. Well, I just want to draw you on, on another subject, uh, 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 James. Now, of course, you left the board and uh, I actually spoke to you at the time. We did an interview and you talked about that toxic culture. Just yep. explain what happened uh, and the reasons why you left. Well, I think there was a lot of people who, were, as, as I said in that original interview many moons ago as it was, um, people were trying to hijack the agenda and push okay they're going to push their own agenda which is going to happen in politics anyway but they're using the antiquated system of any other business now any meeting i've now been to for god knows three four five years any other business is gone it's not there it doesn't exist if you need to address something with urgency you speak to the chairman before the meeting about it and they make the decision if it's discussed if it's not goes to the next meeting and that was not happening and it never happened so you just get someone who railroads the agenda by chucking these questions in i don't know what was coming 
neither did the officers, and we were all expected to know the answers like that. I'm sorry, but there's some research has to go into giving answers, you know? And we're never given opportunities to do it, and the staff, even to this day, are getting slated by members of that board. Now, you were also one of the youngest commissioners we've had on the island in, in recent years. I mean, what was that challenge like? Just for people listening to our programme, there might be younger people who haven't taken part this time, but they may think, oh, maybe this would be where I try my, my, my test my mettle in politics. When you went in, what was your expectation? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really have a massive um, no knowledge or expectation of what to go into. I mean, it was... Yes, I'm representing the people of Onken and fighting for what they think and doing changes within the village uh, or the parish as it is now because it's you had the combination of the parish and the and the village boards many moons ago um, and made it into the district. Um, but was it harder because of the experienced heads who you were joining? I don't know. I mean, the way I've been brought up is say you see and if someone doesn't like it, well, tough. <laughs> That's the way I've been brought up and it's and I, I stick by that. Um, this is me, this is what I think, you've asked for my opinion, you're going to get it. So would you encourage young people today to stand for their local authorities? Definitely, if you've got a drive for where you live and to, to deliver change, put your name out there, do it. Um, Did you have to make sacrifices though? I mean, often with local authorities you do see older people who have the time to attend meetings going to those meetings. Do you think um, that's an excuse? or? Yeah, you know, it depends on how much effort you want to put in. I mean, I personally have good time management skills, I think. Um, I do a lot in life, um, obviously work and stuff like that, but then I'm in so many different organisations. I'm playing a silver band, I'm part of the Royal British Legion, um, you know, motorsports, stuff like that. I'm constantly doing stuff, so I'm used to juggling time around and that happens you know you regularly know that you're going to have a meeting yeah. the next day or third a third let's say or third wednesday in the month and you just timetable it in now there are other meetings that may happen i mean i was a member of the municipal association for onken that was one of the best things i did when i was onken commissioners you know we could turn up have a good frank honest debate but we both we all respected each other's decisions we walked out the room Happy as Larry having, and having a laugh, even okay. if we totally disagreed on each other's throat. I'd like to bring into the the uh, the, uh, the the prince, the, the crown prince of Janet's corner next to you as well, because you were 25 when you went into commissioners. 26. Yeah? 26. Uh, do you need sharp elbows in commissioners and how do you deal i mean james was talking about difficult people who can use process to railroad things how do you get around that tony learn the process and uh, combat them against it standing i was always taught straight on know your standing orders and know how the budget works and give yourself time to learn those two things and with that uh, knowledge you can then uh, yeah. you can then work forward with background as to how to make things happen. I mean, it's only in recent years that this situation, which has been mentioned by any other business on commissioners' meetings, uh, Castletown had it. They've just changed their standing orders, which now stopped that. It's a nonsense. 
I mean, they are statutory authorities. It's not the local football club. It's not the local uh, pensioners club. It's a statutory authority. Imagine Tinwald having any other business at the end of their sittings. Well, can you explain that for our listeners, Tony? Because they might be hearing it. What, what is any other business? What What is this thing that's come along? Well, and if, what if, impact does it have? Yeah, if you, if you have at the end of the agenda any other business, when everything else is set out, for example, if you want to promote something, you have to put a notice of motion down. Then it has to be debated. The important thing is that that goes public four days before the meeting, which informs the public that a member is going to raise something. If you have any other business at the bottom, which you would have on ordinary committees, um, because they're a statutory body and they're representing their town or village or parish, to have that on the end is nonsense because there's no warning to the public that they're going to discuss an issue. A clever member or a persuasive member can use that to get things that they want and the public don't know what's happened until it's too late because the decision's been made. I mean, there is another problem for local authorities which is seriously damaging them, and that is the lack of reporting by the press of their proceedings. I mean, it really is bad news. People in Castanet always complain they don't know what's going on. So they don't know what's going on because if you open the newspaper, and it doesn't matter where you look, round the island most times there's nothing reported about what's said. What you do get is a press release issued. But you don't even know how the members voted for or against what their views are because there's nobody covering those meetings. Well, Tony, I mean, you're touching on an existential problem around the Western world. Yeah. As the press diminishes in in number and influence, and, and it is because it's a generational thing, nobody under 40 buys a newspaper uh, now. How do you combat that? What do you do to get young people involved in the democratic process if they're not if they if they can't learn the ropes well some form of press have to cover it even if it means it only goes on uh, the internet because somebody has to write what's been said and it's no use having like we do you know with the greatest respect manx radio have a very good web page other man have newspapers have one but the short the stories are generally very short because of the capacity of what you're doing Whereas in a newspaper, if there was a real hot subject, it would take a full page or a good half page of the newspaper and it would say basically what the members were arguing about. How do you get that over now? I don't know is the honest answer. You can broadcast it if you like. And I think that from many local authorities would be quite uh, exciting and it could be a bit of a challenge. Um, but the reality is people want to know a number of things. What are the commissioners thinking of doing? One thing that came out of the meeting we had on Monday night in Castletown Square, which I chaired, was that people said, why aren't you consulting us? Why are you not saying you're thinking of doing this in Castletown so we have time to respond if we so wish before you make a decision? What's happening now is you make a decision. If it's something that really upsets the community, we end up lobbying until you change your mind. And sometimes you've already invested in it, so the mind isn't changed. So there's got to be far, far better communication with the people. It's never been easier. Why don't they use it? OK, uh, this is Local Democracy Live from Manx Radio. Our Local Democracy Live is out at Douglas Town Hall with Chris Cave. And what a time to come to me. And the anticipation here in Douglas Town Hall is building. There is an air of anticipation that the count is imminent. The, uh, the result is imminent here from Douglas and... This is an historic election here in the capital, the island's largest local authority, and this is the first time uh, that we're seeing 12 councillors elected rather than the 18 that happened in the last term, and the constituencies mirroring those of the House of Keys as well. We knew that three had already been elected unopposed to Douglas South. 
but we await the results of Douglas Central, Douglas East and Douglas North. And as I say, uh, we've been speaking to David Christian, who was on Douglas Council for 34 years before stepping away from local politics earlier. It is a sea change here on Douglas Council because plenty of new candidates putting their names forward on various different issues. And we've had the COVID obstacles as well. This is an election which has been delayed twice already, 15 months after it was initially set to take place. But it looks as if we are approaching the results which are set to be declared here any moment now and as I say we know three of the 12 candidates who will be representing this local authority for the next four year term and there's an air of silence in the room all eyes on me here (laughs) but plenty of issues have been discussed by the candidates going door to door the time for talking was over when polls opened at eight o'clock this morning and we'll soon find out whether or not their campaigning has paid off and plenty of issues which were being discussed such as parking we heard dog fouling that's a popular one uh, for residents here in Douglas to complain about affordable housing there have been plenty of candidates who have been very vocal on that subject and of course the climate we're in an age we've seen in central government where they have declared a climate emergency so green issues also very at the forefront of the minds of the voters here in Douglas and as I say we are edging ever nearer to this result being announced here and plenty of experienced councillors who are standing down not seeking re-election we mentioned them earlier Carol Crawley, Richie McNichol, Helen Callow, David Christian, John Jockin the mayor and Elizabeth Quirk as well who was first elected in 1995 not 1999 which was an error made by the local democracy reporter in an article recently. We have to clear that up. She was first elected in 1995, uh, not 1999, as was falsely reported, but she will not be part of the next council. And it could be very party-heavy as well. We've seen Manx Labour field plenty of candidates. The other man, Green Party, with Andrew Bentley, he is already on the council. He's seeking re-election as well. And It's interesting to note that in the last couple of by-elections for this local authority, it has been party candidates who have been successful. So will that continue or will it be different this time around? Waste charges at the Eastern Civic Community site. There was a, a big debate on that particular subject in the most recent public meeting here of Douglas Council on Wednesday. And it was the last one in which we will see some familiar faces who have represented the capital of the Isle of Man for quite some time. But I think you're going to get some big news from a different local authority, so I'll hand back to you in the studio. Okay, Chris, thank you. So Douglas is on the way, and Oncombe will be later. First of all, now live to Peel and Beth Espy. Good evening. We are in the current hall where the clerk is just revealing the results of the Peel election. Elaine Mary Clark, 405 votes. Frank Keith Crompton, 786 votes. Ian Davidson, 674 votes. Hazel Hannon, 713 votes. Vorrie Heaton, 868 votes. Alan Jones, 712 votes. Madeline Kelly, 898 votes. Charles Miller, 438 votes. Christine Mockton, 708 votes. Ian Tompkins, 669 votes. Uh, Michael Wade, 1,114 votes. 
<coughs> the names of the candidates elected to the commissioners are as follows. Michael Wade, Madeleine Kelly, Vori Heaton, Frank Crompton, Hazel Hannon, Alan Jones, Christine Mockton, and Hazel Hannon. Did I say, I said that twice. So that is the result from Peel. I'm just going to go over to Mike Wade, following in his mother's footsteps, and I think it's fair to say gobsmacked is the word, Mike. Slightly gobsmacked. Slightly gobsmacked. I, I don't know what to say. A thousand votes? More than a thousand votes? How can I repay that faith in people? That's incredible. The journey starts here. Frank, your thoughts? Made up, thanks to everyone who voted. I didn't expect it, but I will serve you proud. So that's the result uh, from Peel. We will head back to the studio, but if we can just find out first the turnout, what was that, Derek? Uh, the total number of voters at the election was 1,673, which equates to 38.8% of the, of the vote. Uh, there were three ballot papers rejected, two for voting for more candidates than we were trying to fill, and one with a marked paper we couldn't identify. So that's the results from Peel, but that will hand you back to the studio. Beth, thank you. That's uh, an amazing result from Peel. 38.8%, 1,673 uh, ballot papers. Well, obviously, Peel is doing nothing but grow. Uh, houses are being built all the time in Peel. The redevelopment of Michael Street has yet to come to fruition. Nobody quite knows what's, it, uh, what's going to happen. They proposed something. The traders didn't like it. The lack of sewage treatment is always something that uh, excites opinion in Peel, and that will be the subject for years to come. Uh, Ewan, any surprises for you in Peel? Uh, well, I'm just furiously totaling uh, uh, who won and trying to put it on Facebook and Twitter, Andy. But um, I think, um, uh, what, what are we looking at here? Was Ian Davison uh, successful? Uh, no, yes. we, no, no. we've got Frank Crompton, Hazel Hannon, Vori Heaton, Alan Jones, Madeline Kelly, Christine Muckton, Michael Wade. Yeah, well, I think the loss of, of, of Ian Davison there is, is, is he, he has always been a, a long-time commissioner, um, Sells people ice cream, so that's always a good thing. Okay. Um, yeah, are we having another vote, are we? Things are happening in oh, Douglas. Okay. Chris Cave. Well, election nights are tense, aren't they? This is uh, a classic example of that because there's a second recount underway. Remember, three wards are due to be declared tonight, but we are heading towards the announcement of two of those. Right. Uh, there's a, a recount going on uh, for North Ward, uh, so I think it's probably best to get the results out of the way for East Ward and Central Ward. In Central Ward, uh, uh, the votes were cast as follows. For Natalie Ann Byron, there were uh, 567 votes. For Samuel James Hamer, there were 503 for Stephen Robert Pitts, there were 781 votes. And for John Edward Skinner, there were 647 votes. Uh, so therefore, Natalie Ann Byron, Stephen Robert Pitts and John Edward Skinner stand elected. Uh, the total ballot papers in the box was 1,238, uh, representing a turnout of 21.49%. <clears throat> in East Ward... Uh, Councillor Andrew John Bentley uh, achieved 551 votes. Ian John Gelling-Clegg, 
373, Linda Tracy Coe, 235, Angela Catherine Jockin, 324, and Devon Robert, Robert Watson, 540. Therefore, Andrew John Bentley, Ian John Gelling Clegg, and Devon Robert Watson are elected. Uh, the total ballot papers uh, used was 867, and the turnout 17.84%. Uh, we will announce the, the result in uh, uh, the North Ward as soon as we can uh, get it together. Thank you very much. So there we have it, the results for Douglas Central and Douglas East in the 2021 local authority election. While well, we come to terms with that, uh, let's bring you the big news that elected for Douglas Central, Natalie and Byron, Stephen Robert Pitts, who topped the polls in Douglas Central, and John Edward Skinner. And in Douglas East, Andrew John Bentley, Devon Robert Watson were the two who topped the polls in Douglas Eastward. Let's see if we can get a word with some of the successful candidates. And I've got my eyes on Andrew Bentley, who's a part of the Isle of Man Green Party. And he was elected initially to serve Douglas Council in a by-election. This is his first general election that you're contesting. Congratulations, first of all, Mr. Bentley. Uh, you're a councillor for the next four years. What's your message to those people who have put their faith in you at the ballot box today? Uh, thank you very much. Obviously, that's the, the first message. Absolutely brilliant result. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've seen uh, certainly a, a good turnout from some younger voters. Um, message on the doorstep. Both Devon Motson's message and my message, we uh, we got very positive feedback. I mean, they're subjects that are kind of beyond the remit of council, but things that we want to campaign for. And Devon has campaigned on affordable housing and the, his generation's frustration with the situation that we have sleepwalked into. And my campaign often mentioned more pedestrianisation, low traffic neighbourhoods, which is something that I think a lot of people in Douglas Central would agree with as well, that one-sixth of the island's population lives in Inner Douglas and they don't like their residential streets being used as somebody else's shortcut. And that message went down very, very well. Both you and Devon Watson share those ideas about a greener environment. Do you think the message from the people of Douglas East is very clear? You and Devon were... Uh, the two, the top two in Douglas East. So the message from the voters is that they want to adopt those philosophies that you hold dear to you. Well, when we talk about the uh, the green issue side of things, you know, nobody was saying we shouldn't recycle. Nobody was saying we shouldn't take action to deal with climate change. I mean, yes, we're 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 an absolute drop in the ocean, but everybody realizes the point that we have to get on with it and create this new world. We have to act. Um, nobody was saying we shouldn't. Let's talk about Devon Watson because he's not here tonight. I know you've shared some campaign messages together. He's not here because he has tested positive for COVID-19. And there have been some very angry figures within not just central government, but local politics as well, who were angered by what they thought was damage to the democratic process. Just give us your take on how you feel the Department of Infrastructure have conducted themselves when it comes to these local authority elections? Well, my understanding of uh, 
the word negligence from my understanding of the law of tort is that you know it's the the actions of a man on the Clapham omnibus and what he would consider reasonable and we've known for 15 months that we were going to have to hold local elections potentially with a breakout of COVID-19 we've known that that was foreseeable and that's the key word in this this was foreseeable and it was foreseeable 15 months ago and they haven't done anything they they've hidden behind excuses about oh we'd have to change legislation where was the creative thing they had 15 months and uh, that that's not good enough um we have contacted and it's not just us with a younger demographic of voters i mean ian clegg says he knows families that are isolating there's people everywhere and i think the comments that we've heard from the minister were very disappointing comments like it's only 300 people from a man with a majority of 214. So, so just quickly, very briefly, before we hand back to the studio, mixed emotions tonight. One of uh, delight that you are successful at the ballot box, but also a bit frustration of the way that this election was carried out. The election was held very well by the officers. I can't fault anybody from our side of things. Um, but it, it did cast a shadow over the event, yes. Well, Andrew Bentley, elected in the local authority elections for Douglas East to serve on Douglas Borough Council for the next four years. I'll hand back to you in the studio, Andy, and we will be back some point because Douglas North is headed for a second recount. Okay, thank you, Chris. Obviously, uh, Karen Angela, Falk Horning, Janet Tomney and Peter John Washington uh, following that. Uh, closer than most. Uh, just one thing to note, by the way, in Douglas Central, obviously Stephen Pitts uh, topped the poll with seven, 781, uh, John Skinner 647, Natalie and Byron was next with 567. Sam Hamer from Manx Labour missed out by four votes. Now, how many people were isolating who couldn't vote? So, Sam Hamer may have something to say about that. He missed out by four votes. And Local Democracy Live continues. Well, we're looking, we're just uh, uh, bracing after the, uh, the, the uh, well, not bracing, what's the opposite of bracing? Reeling after the impact of those low turnouts in Douglas Central and Douglas East. 21% in Douglas Central, the ward of Douglas Central, I should say, and 17% in the ward of, of Douglas East. Now, it's hard to ignore the COVID uh, sort of undertone here and what impact isolation of, of hundreds of people uh, may have had on those percentages is impossible to tell, but there's always going to be a question mark hanging over them. Another potential impact could have been the changes from uh, the old uh, Douglas wards to these new larger constituencies. Has that meant that can candidates haven't been able to uh, canvas those larger areas? Has that meant they haven't been able to get around as many doors? And has that had a knock-on effect on, on you just wonder uh, again what the connection is between politicians in douglas local politicians in douglas uh, and their constituents it may be it just may be that uh, people are working and uh, it just may be that you know they don't they're not finding time to do this but you just question why well it will be interesting i think to see uh, how this plays with the national politicians because some uh, national politicians like to do local politics to keep their hand in and get votes but now rather than distinct wards what you've got is is, is the councillors are going to be in exactly the same areas as the national politicians yeah. 
whether they're going to start to see each other and they'd probably do to an extent already come election time as competition and whether that overlap will be a healthy thing i don't know but we are speaking to a douglas politician later and we'll see what he has to say uh, and as uh, Tony Brown was saying earlier on, it, it may be that there's a, a sort of creeping uh, dead hand of central government aiming for local politics. It's going to be interesting to see because you've got the whole generational thing about social media. You have a disenfranchisement sometimes with the electoral process and changing demographics. So we'll see what happens in the future. Oh, well, we're going to stop for the 11 o'clock news and be back with Local Democracy Live. Broadcasting from Douglas in the Isle of Man, on smartphone and smart speaker, online and on AM and FM. This is Manx Radio. Manx Radio News at 11 o'clock. Faster my good evening. I'm Tessa Hawley. The Isle of Man now has over 1,700 cases of COVID-19. There's been an increase of 409 active cases since yesterday, taking the total to 1,757. There are now five people in hospital, with one person in the intensive care unit. The Chief Minister says he will never say never to taking additional steps to shut down the latest outbreak of COVID-19. Howard Quayle has admitted it's jarring to see the virus spreading. Speaking at today's media briefing, he said learning to live with it was never going to be easy. And Mr Quayle said there was a possibility that additional measures would be needed if the pressure on the health service becomes too severe. I hope our vaccination programme means such a step will not be necessary, but we cannot and must not rule us out, and we must never say never. But any response would be focusing on protecting hospital capacity and ensuring there is space for those with COVID-19 who need intervention and specialist care. It would not be about locking down society and preventing people from getting on with their lives. The Director of Public Health has refused to be drawn on whether she agreed with the decision to drop mandatory testing and self-isolation. Dr Henrietta Hewitt said it wasn't for her to have a view on the Council of Ministers' decision to change the rules for close contacts. I don't make the decisions, so it's not my role to either support or oppose the decisions properly taken by Comen. Um, as you said yourself just then, my role is to make sure they're apprised of all the current evidence and intelligence and data on COVID, and then they take that into account. They also have to balance the wider economic and social impacts. So, so long as the decision is properly taken by due process, I will work with that as a public servant. Pharmacies on the Isle of Man have run out of lateral flow tests again. That's despite a delivery of stock yesterday. People are now being asked not to request home testing kits for the time being and not to stockpile them when they do become available. Government says 120,000 are due to be delivered next week. The Chamber of Commerce is calling on government to switch salary support back on. The scheme, which paid up to £310 per employee per week, was available in some sectors until Monday. Several retail and lifestyle businesses are closing their doors due to cancellations from the public and staff needing to self-isolate. Chief Executive Rebecca George says government needs to act fast as some businesses are at risk of long-term closure. Salary support is something that is needed immediately to help these businesses 
over the next couple of weeks. We did a, a survey of our members last week. 63 of those local visitors completed it. Income is reduced as much as 80% compared to the same period in 2020. Staffing levels are seriously affected. It's leading to all these pubs, restaurants, shops having to close. They need assistance now. Operations are being cancelled at Nobles Hospital due to an increase in patients who need treatment. A number of elective orthopaedic procedures have been shelved due to a lack of beds. Manx Care has blamed it on a rise in people attending the emergency department who were then admitted for further treatment. They are now in beds on wards which are normally used to look after patients having day surgery. Manx Care has told Manx Radio it's working with patients who've been affected to reschedule their surgery as soon as possible. And Timwald members have agreed to approve 15 recommendations related to the Isle of Man's approach to poverty. The court has accepted a select committee's report on income and benefits. It was put forward by committee chairman Dewan Watterson, who said an application for income support currently requires 17 pages of information. For anyone who struggles with literacy, organisation, mental health or simply just time this is unrealistic and he says people who need support are missing out evidence provided to the committee by trusted third sector organizations clearly demonstrated that many service users miss out on the money they are entitled to simply because they are not equipped to navigate the system whilst the committee accepts that a level of evidence is and should be required from claimants with only a single visiting officer for the whole island the current application system doesn't appear to be fair or practical That's a look at today's news on the Isle of Man. Remember, you can keep up to date by following Manx Radio on social media or going to manxradio.com. Waltons have the largest stock of home appliances ready to go. Washing machine to large fridge freezer. From Samsung to Hotpoint. Visit Waltons. Call 611 711 or go to waltons.im. For a wide range of wood-burning stoves and a complete installation service, visit The Snug in Ramsey. And we don't stop there. Kiln-dried firewood and full aftercare service, including chimney sweeps and maintenance. Call The Snug in Ramsey. The greenhouse company supplied installed freestanding and lean-to greenhouses in a variety of colours to suit your garden. Our elite titan is the strongest in the market. Search The Greenhouse Company Isle of Man online or call 877-951. If it's Karcher, it has to be the island's sole appointed Karcher Sales and Service Centre. Manx Radio Weather with Manx Glass and Glazing. Jeremiah, thank you, Tessa. From the Ronalds Way Met Office, uh, no problems out in the North Irish Sea for the next 24 hours. Light variable breezes through the night, turning easterly as the night goes on. We're down to 17 through the night. But tomorrow, Friday, Chehenya, dry and sunny, a light to moderate breeze coming in from the east. Daytime maximum 26, overnight minimum 17. And for Saturday, Jasan, dry and settled, top temperature 22. High water was about uh, a minute ago. Sunrise tomorrow morning, 16 minutes past 5. Low water, 28 minutes past 5. And high water is 29 minutes to midday. If you're looking for supply-only windows and doors, make sure you visit the Manx Glass and Glazing Showroom on the Snugbrook Trading Estate or call 674-573.
This is Local Democracy Live, live on Manx Radio from the Isle of Man. It's local election day. We've had uh, results from Castletown, Garth, Jerby, Peel and Santon still to come. Uh, Douglas North, we've had two of the Douglas results, Central and Eastern Ward. Douglas North is on the way and uh, there's a recount in um, Onken at the moment. So we'll find out what's happening there. We'll... Uh, hear from Alex Brindley uh, fairly shortly. Uh, but let's first of all go to uh, one of the victorious uh, councillors for Douglas Eastward. Devon Watson joins us uh, live on Manx Radio. Hi, Devon. Hi, how are we? Great to chat to you again, Andy. And you as well. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It, uh, it's been interesting uh, campaigning from uh, isolation. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is probably pretty historic and I'm really happy that uh, the results were as decisive as they were. Okay, People... stay right there, Devon, because the other results coming through from Douglas. Chris Cave. Yes, we've had the results from Douglas Central and Douglas East. But Douglas North went to two recounts, but the results are just about to be declared. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very pleased after the two recounts to be able to announce the results of the election in North Douglas. Um, the n- number of votes cast for each candidate was as follows. For Karen Angela, 349 votes. For Falk Horning, 385. For Janet Tominy, 446. For Peter John Washington, 376. Uh, so therefore, count, uh, Karen Angela, Falk Horning and Janet Tominy are elected. Sorry? Oops, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, it's been a long evening. Um, the the people elected were uh, Falk Horning with 385, Janet Tominy with 446, Peter John Washington with 376, uh, and the other candidate, Karen Angela, achieved 349. Uh, the total number of ballot papers uh, used in the election was 841, which represents a turnout of 16.05%. Thank you very much. So a turnout of 16%. It went to two recounts. That showed just how close it was. But we do have a result here from Douglas North, though. Falk Horning, Janet Tominy and Peter Washington of Manx Labour uh, getting in elected to Douglas Council. Uh, we'll hand back to you because I believe you've got Devon Watson on the line. We'll try and get hold of some successful candidates here, but I'll hand back to you in the studio, Andy. Chris, thank you, and thanks for hanging, uh, hanging on there, Devon. Well, at least you didn't have a recount or a, a mistake as well. Um, so uh, so you're in now. You're, uh, you're back in. Uh, what's your view looking forward, Devon? Who are you going to nominate as leader, by the way? Um, I, I think this is a big question. I think we'll have to chat to our par- partners in the Green Party uh, and the remaining candidates and, and see see where the chips lie. Um, I think that we're obviously um, concerned about the village validity and the legitimacy of this election, uh, given the total failure um, by the Department of Infrastructure in uh, facilitating a safe vote and ensuring that people 
who were isolating could still exercise their democratic rights. So I think we'll have to see where the, where the smoke settles on this one before we decide uh, leadership. Okay, for, um, our, for our listeners, we'll also point out that you're, you're doing this over the phone because you're isolating. Yeah, yeah, I'm currently infected with COVID. Um, and it uh, happened in the past few days. I missed out on the crucial last week of campaigning. Um, but happy that the voters uh, looked at the manifesto and decided to give me the vote anyway. I've personally been contacted by 30 people um, who were unable to get out to the polls and votes um, uh, for myself or Andrew uh, as a result of this. Um, and if you look at the numbers of the people who are isolating, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are between the ages of 15 and 35. And often the government and often uh, media commentators complain quite a lot about the fact that young people don't vote, young people don't turn out to vote, young people don't stand on elections. And yet, and yet they do absolutely nothing to ensure that the young people who are isolating from this actually get to exercise this democratic uh, right. So, Devin, so, but practically, Devon, what do you think could have happened? I mean, what would you have done? Drive-through voting? Somebody, yes, somebody... drive-through voting could have worked. They could have changed primary legislation to uh, allow absentee voting until the last day. They could have allowed emergency proxy voting, as they did in the UK. They had 15 months to solve this issue, and Tim Baker has completely failed in this regard. Um, they've had 15 months to get this sorted out, and a lot of people were disenfranchised as a result. This question was raised in January, it was raised in March, it was raised last week. So when he says he doesn't have time to do this, um, he is wrong, uh, and he is negligent. And I think that's the big story about this election, is rather than results as much, it's also the fact that a lot of people have been disenfranchised at the end of the day. Uh, okay, uh, some pretty uh, some pretty grotty turnout figures uh, for this uh, election in Douglas, Devon, and again, it's an enormous seat of population in the Isle of Man. How can yeah. you how can you motivate people politically? Um, I, I think one thing that did work for us on, uh, is is a campaign that focused on issues that go beyond dog fouling uh, and streetlights. These issues are important. But Douglas Borough Council used to build dams. We used to operate tram tramways that were the, the, the inspiration for trams in San Francisco. Uh, Douglas Borough Council challenged the national government um, and helped establish democracy on the Alaman as a result. Uh, we used to manage electricity infrastructure, right? So we can afford uh, provide affordable housing and we can provide uh, adequate solutions to our contributions to climate change uh, if we are willing to be brave enough to actually get out and do it. Um, and uh, I think by showing the Douglas Borough Council and local politics can have a tangible benefit on people's lives, maybe they will have increased participation in the future. And uh, maybe if it's easier for people to vote, particularly people who've been forced into the home through isolation, it'll be easier for them to vote as well. Well, Devon, I do want to, as you and Gorn joining you now, I do want to ask you, um, questions have been raised about whether a legal challenge might have been mounted uh, against the, the government about their inability to provide for those who are isolating and can't vote. Um, now, is that something you think should happen? 100%. I would encourage uh, anyone who doesn't win this election, I would encourage my opponents in this election to challenge the validity of this election. Um, although that I imagine a lot of the people who are isolating would have been voters for Andrew myself, um, the fact that anybody is disenfranchised is absurd and infuriating at the end of the day. We're supposed to be in democratic society. And if the DUI... I mean, I think it talks to like wider issues within government as a whole, and and maybe that we need to pay more attention to local government if there is such a consistent or deep failure at a um, 
at a national at a national level, particularly to at least facilitate the the running of, of local elections. Oh, you've been joined by uh, somebody else there, uh, I think, Devin. But we're, we'll move we'll move on now. But thank you for uh, uh, speaking to us and congratulations. Good. What's your dog's name, Devin? By the way. Oh, it is it is Sonny. Yeah. Sorry, uh, we were isolating with a, with a, with a few people, so it's uh, it is how it is. Congratulations, um, anyway, Devin. Good night. Now, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Cheers Thanks for being with us. You and we joined by many things. I didn't think we'd have a dog on the show tonight. No, no. Uh, well, be careful what you say there, Andy. Um, yeah, no, I think we've heard we've had William King on the roof. We've had Devon and his dog, Sonny. No, we've had some real highlights of things. So and far. we've got Chris Cave with some winners. Hi, Chris. Yes, well, Devon Watson's dog is appropriately named. It's certainly been sunny today. You would have hoped that would have allowed more people... Uh, or given more people some enthusiasm to go to the ballot box. Just 16% turnout, though. I'm with one of the winners. He won't care about how many people turned out, I don't think, right this moment. Peter Washington uh, from the Manx Labour Party. Give us a flavour of what Peter Washington will bring to Douglas Council. I think being part of uh, uh, the Labour Party, a lot of discussion goes on, and we can think about the community as a whole and not just base yourselves on single issues so I think bringing party politics to, uh, into Douglas and working to a manifesto gives people more of an opportunity to see what the Labour Party can do as opposed to what individuals can do so I'm looking forward to working with Devon and I'm also looking forward to looking, looking forward to working with the Greens their manifesto on climate change isn't that much different on what the Labour Party is and they have uh, a social conscience and their policies on uh, social uh, uh, just, to, just to bring you up on that though it was noticeable that party politics um, was playing uh, an increasing role in these local authority elections here in Douglas it's been a mixed night though for Manx Labour because whilst you and Devon Watson have got in and elected to Douglas Council Samuel Heyman narrowly missing out Oh, I'm so sad for Sam. Sam is such an asset in the Labour Party and we'll, he will be sadly missed at the, uh, at the council meetings. But I, I don't think because he's lost the elections, Sam um, won't be missed, certainly from the Labour Party, and he'll still be an active member in supporting us in our, in our policies and helping us uh, along the way. But does, does it possibly suggest that party politics isn't as strong as perhaps it was perceived it was? The, the likes on social media not transferring into ballots? I don't think it's a case of that. I think it's a case of we're going through a, uh, a tremendous change. Um, and people, I think, in, in the past haven't have taken their eye off the ball of politics, but I think increasingly now more and more uh, especially young people are, are focusing on politicians and what they say and what they do. And I think um, uh, that we are going to probably uh, look back at this and think, well, this is going to be a turning point. But you've got to appreciate that some of the things that have happened over this election are very, very unusual. I won't say this has been a normal election by any stretch of the imagination. It's been delayed for 15 months. We've had COVID-19. Even the last few days going around trying to canvas, we've got very difficult people didn't want to mix with us. And I do, I do suspect that there's a lot of people who haven't gone to vote that would have gone to vote 
uh, some of them couldn't vote who, who wanted to vote. So there's lots of issues, and I think over the next couple of days when we start having a debrief, we'll be looking at, at, at some of these issues. But I think as, as, as party politics, as far as the Labour Party is concerned, and I, you know, I don't speak for the Greens, but I think they've had a good night, and I think the Labour Party's had a good night, and I think uh, more and more people are, are going to be looking at um, our manifestos and keeping us... Uh, uh, up to account for what we say in our manifestos and what we're going to do. Well, there's a real roller coaster for you. Two recounts, but you were eventually successful. You are a councillor. Congratulations to Peter Washington, the second uh, of three Manx Labour Party councillors or candidates to be elected to the council. I'll hand back to you in the studio. Uh, Chris, thanks very much indeed to another Chris as well. Chris Thomas, MHK, uh, joins us. Good evening. Uh, How long were you a councillor in Douglas? Just over a year from memory, 2012. Uh, I'm trying to think. uh, David Ashford, councillor, and Corlett was a councillor in Peel. You got uh, Geoffrey Boot and Ray Harmer. Laurie Hooper was a councillor in Ramsey. Uh, do you think it's uh, a good grounding for a, a politician to, to operate at uh, local level? Yeah, I think it it is. Al- Dr Allenson as well. And going back beyond that, many, many people have been councillors. The Education Council was another route in the day. Um, and we'll see, perhaps the Legislative Council will be a new grounder for MHKs if certain mm. people are elected this time. Uh, what are your views uh, on balance? What are your judgments from what you've heard tonight? Well, in Douglas Central, all the four candidates put together impressive uh, leaflets that came through my door. Um, the turnout in Douglas Central was slightly higher than it was in uh, North Douglas and East Douglas, which is the same as at general elections. Um, congratulations to Stephen Pitts, who got a huge um, number of votes. Um, you know, he's an, a long-established politician. He must be one of the candidates to take on the mantle of David Christian. John Skinner did very well. Uh, Natalie Byron as well in Douglas Central. If you go over to East Douglas... Andrew Bentley and Devon Watson worked as a team, um, and they've done really well. I mean, if I just do the numbers, Andrew Bentley and Devon Watson got more votes than Chris Robertshaw got in the um, general election, and nearly as many as Claire Barber. Having said that, um, there were far fewer. Um, each of them had three votes. Yes. Each, each candidate had three votes for them, and they only had two votes in the general election. And there were there were more opponents in the general election, but it is. You know, a large number of votes to have Do you got think in East it makes, Is it more relevant now by getting rid of uh, Athol Ward, Murray's Victoria, Derby, St John's, St George's and Hills, and going into the, the almost the parliamentary uh, constituencies? Yeah, and having 12 uh, members of the council, 12 councillors rather than 18, will will be f- pr- profoundly important in changing things. It is, you know, we have had a, a group of people who've leave the council. Thank you very much for everything they've done for the public. Um, we now have a new group of people who are obviously excited about the future from talking to them in all yeah. sorts of ways. And we are we are going to need to work together as MHKs with our new councillors. We'll, there'll obviously be new MHKs in yeah. place in October. How can the new councillors make themselves relevant, though, to the people of Douglas? And indeed, I mean, the, the, the commissioners and councillors that have been elected across the island now, what can they do in the early days to make themselves relevant? Oh, they are already. They are already. Um, you, you've heard uh, a lot of talk there about uh, speed limits and calming traffic, and councillors have been working with MH Keys, uh, Keys on that issue. You heard uh, Devon Watson issuing and Andrew Bentley issuing a challenge on the fact that the 
COVID has affected this election because it's uh, been more younger people have been isolating rather than older people. And they made the point that the Department of Infrastructure could have done more about that earlier. All those points are true and they're the same points I made in the House of Keys in March when the most recent opportunity was there to change the legislation. The next election for local authorities won't be organised by the DOI. It'll be organised by Cabinet Office under the new election law and the new processes that are being put in place for the election would have coped much better with this, this situation. Yeah. We could have declared an emergency if we'd used the new law. We could have had later proxy voting. We could have um, done all sorts of things. And it's a great shame that we didn't. I did try to move for that. Back Tony in March. Brown, did that surprise you that they couldn't uh, they couldn't um, get votes out for people who were isolating? Well, um, <laughs> I don't know if it surprised me. I hadn't given it a lot of thought, really. But uh, listening to what's been said this evening and what Chris has just said, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the Alaman government can do what it has to do. And if it has to, it has to make emergency provisions for yeah. whatever. Uh, everybody knew COVID was about. Um, they knew already that the uh, local authorities had been extended a year. Um, I think it's fair to say they knew at that time that COVID was unlikely to have vanished. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, they've always said that for ages. This is going yeah. to be with us for a long time. Yeah. So they may not have wanted this to happen, Tony Brown, but it almost makes it look like the DOI or government, central government doesn't care. Well, I don't think it's not care. I, th- I suppose you could say it's uh, pressure of other things on their minds. And I think the point that uh, Chris has just made about the Cabinet Office dealing with it, uh, and I'm not a fan of the Cabinet Office as a structure, but if you've got such a body, then that's the very body that should be dealing with um, uh, election issues at all levels because that they are a central point. Um, and I, I do think that uh, if you make provision for all circumstances, and I think we all accept, the public accept, We've been living through a strange period where, in fact, the legislators and government have had to make uh, difficult, uh, unique decisions. And it's a a pity that this one wasn't picked up, especially when it had been raised, because, again, uh, Chris mentioned the point he raised it some months ago and still nothing was done. These things can be done quickly. Uh, Chris... uh so what was the reaction? I mean, when it came in, in Keys and Tinwald, were you surprised by the reaction? The focus from um, the minister at the time appeared to me to be on giving a chance to commissioners in the areas where there was unlikely to be an election a chance to retire. The focus was on making sure that uh, those bodies were still quorum. There wasn't really much focus on on the places where there were likely to be elections. That's my uh, view of what the thinking was in March. It was about giving the people a chance to get off. They've been trying to get off for a year. And I do think that, you know, whether we like it or not, I do think technology is going to take over. I mean, you're going to end up with people being able to vote um, through the internet because, you know, you can make it secure. We already do it for our driving licences, our income tax. So I'm sure that will develop, and I think within the next five years, if not whenever, uh, we're going to see a change in that. Uh, do you think so, Chris Thomas? Very much so, and the, the new systems we're putting in place for this general election, for instance, putting manifestos online, they could have all been used for the local elections um, at government office. OK, uh, Douglas Council are going to miss the considerable experience of long-time leader uh, David Christian. The views of Claire Wells, who's been the authority's housing chair over the last term and was re-elected uncontested in Douglas South. Now, after occupying a senior position at the council, some have tipped Claire Wells 
to be Mr. Christian's successor, but she wouldn't be drawn on her ambitions. Uh, but she said uh, there are big shoes to fill. I think strength is really in the people that are coming in. And so, yes, we're going to lose some of his expertise, but it's really down to the integrity of the people that are coming in and their ability to stand by their beliefs and challenge the issues that we come across. So although I understand your question and, and are we going to be, I don't think we'll be, we'll be less strong than when David was there. I just think that his knowledge and his ability to pinpoint an issue so quickly may be slightly lost. However, anybody that comes in, as long as they stand by their morals and are willing to a challenge in the right way, I think there is a way forward on that. Would you be willing to be the council leader? Because some see housing as it's a big responsibility in Douglas because, you know, they're the largest housing provider. Some might see you as maybe a natural successor then to the council leader. What what would you say to that? I think at the end of the day, it's down to the to the members to choose who they want to lead them. Well, would you be to... interested if they were interested in you? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure that it's something I can answer, to be honest with you. I think um, it's going to be a very difficult position to fill. I think you're in the public eye a lot um, and you need a, a particular personality, I think, to be able to, to carry that, that role off. Whether or not the members that come in choose me as their leader or anybody else who comes in, that's really up to them to decide. That was uh, Claire Wells talking about the future at uh, Douglas Council. Well, it's local democracy live, live on Manx Radio through till 12 midnight. We've had results from Castletown, Douglas, Garth, Jerby, Peel and Santon. Still to come, apparently it's not a recount, they're still counting in Onken, although the turnout is only 23.95%. Local Democracy Live on Manx Radio. It's local election day today. Just one count to come, and that's at Onken. It's Onken, so anything could happen. Let's just have a final wrap-up of what's happened. It's been a big night in Douglas tonight. Chris Cave. It has. It has been an absolute roller coaster, especially for those uh, contesting a seat for Douglas North, where there were two recounts in the end, but ultimately it's Falk Horning and Janet Tomney who are re-elected. Karen Angela, who's also seeking re-election, well, she narrowly missed out to Peter Washington of the Manx Labour Party. He's been elected to the council for the first time, as has in Douglas Central, Natalie Byron, uh, Stephen Pitts and John Skinner, all three returning to the council. Sam Hamer was also on the nomination papers, but uh, unfortunately for him, he was the only one of three Labour candidates not to be returned to Douglas Council this evening. And in Douglas East, it was Andrew Bentley, Ian Clegg and Devon Watson who were elected to serve for the next four years. And there'll be plenty of discussion over the next few days as to who will succeed David Christian, who's one of many councillors with years of experience who won't be part of the next council. And it'll be interesting to see how those fresh ideas are blooded in with existing schemes which need to be carried out, how they learn the processes, who takes part in what committee. And it has to be said, despite speaking to people earlier on, uh, just after polls closed, I was speaking to a number of candidates who were saying that the polls, the polling stations have been busy throughout the day. It was a glorious day, but ultimately when you look at the figures, again, a pretty dismal turnout from the voters of Douglas, 21 0.49% was the highest in each of the wards. That came in Douglas Central, where there are only four candidates. And it goes back 
to just what might have been. Some candidates will be left with a sour taste in the mouth just because of what has happened over the last few days. It emerged that no contingency plans were in place following a surge in coronavirus cases and people will be feeling there was a democratic deficit. We have to wait and hear what Tim Baker has to say, but I think it's pretty clear from the people we've spoken to tonight they're not best pleased with how this election was ultimately carried out with hundreds of people in self-isolation who weren't able to vote. But it will be interesting to see what issues are on the top of the agenda when the council sits for its first public meeting with just 12 members. It had 18 uh, in its last sitting, but it will be back to just 12 uh, in a reduced-sized Douglas Council and those constituencies for the first time, mirroring those for September's House of Keys election. But we do know that Natalie Byron, Stephen Pitts and John Skinner, we do know that Andrew Bentley, Ian Clegg and Devon Watson, and we do know that Falk Horning, Janet Tomney and Peter Washington have all been elected on what has been a hectic day at the polls in Douglas. Chris Kay, thank you for reporting tonight and to all our reporters. Still one to come, Alex Brindley is uh, at the hub in Onken and hopefully we'll get that in before midnight tonight. 26 minutes ahead of midnight, Ewan Gorn is here with Chris Thomas. Now I just want to say, Andy, before I speak to Chris, that we will be having the Infrastructure Minister Tim Baker live on Manx Radio Breakfast tomorrow morning. Uh, interesting to see See what he has to say about some of the issues raised this evening. But we'll talk uh, to uh, uh, Douglas Central member Chris Thomas. Of course, you were policy and reform minister pushing through rates reform. Now, uh, Mr. Brown mentioned before how rates have been sort of extrapolated away from the local authorities. But the way they're set, uh, the way they're levied, rather, was something that you were trying to change. Just um, tell us a bit about the, the background there. Uh, I was trying to change it. And in the five years before... Um, me trying to change it somebody was trying to change it they were they they were trying to use a different approach they were trying to use what's called the, the capital market banding approach i was trying to use the area approach and both of them were shelved for political reasons it's an incredibly difficult thing to solve um where we are now is a consultation was launched again just back in May, but it wasn't really launched. And as far as I understand, it's not going to be launched. They're now leaving it over to the next administration. Um, Mr. Brown described the fact that uh, rates uh, still use a system based on 1969 rental values. My system would work. It's very cheap to um, to, ke- uh, to sort out the, the relative value of the properties using aerial photographs but there will be winners and losers in all sorts of ways and we it's a very difficult thing to 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 sort out and i think mr brown would agree but we, we need to sort it out now so so i just want to ask about that sorry uh, mr brown, the, the political reasons why rates reform never happens why, why is that is it because rural rates will go up and rural mhks don't like it or, yes. or what yeah uh, I mean, I think the point is it's, it is a difficult situation and it directly affects people. What, unfortunately, many of the politicians ignore is that many people suffer under the unfairness of the present rate system. You have large houses in the countryside paying maybe a third of the rates of a small house in the towns. And the very people who need support can't get it because the rate system doesn't give it. And government and Tinwald had a policy uh, which was that the rate, a lot of these rate-borne issues would be borne by government because at least then uh, the taxation system recognised people on lower incomes and therefore you may not be eligible to pay tax. Uh, it wasn't perfect either. Um, but you've got to look at the whole picture. It's not just about reforming 
local government or reforming the numbers. It's about reforming them and identifying the services that should be uh, provided at local level and how they'll be funded. And when you do all that and put it together properly and recognise also the geographical nature of the Isle of Man and the different communities in a way that's acceptable, um, then you'll get greater interest in local government. Do you think that's the issue you had, uh, Chris Thomas, that, that you didn't do the services, you just went for the rates first? Oh, oh no, for 10 years we have been doing the services mm. and we've got to make, we are making progress on that and we've got to continue making progress on that. So housing, we've now got shared lists everywhere except for the west and the east. We've got them in the south and the north and a bit of the east. Um, in terms of waste management, we're beginning to uh, get to a more optimal provision. Um, this is the way we've got to approach it. You know, Castletown Civic Centre is an incredible achievement. Castletown is transformed in the last few years. I go down there for nights out. I go down for Port Erin. There's a lot of, mm. of buzz about it compared to Douglas. We've got to learn from that. Oh, yeah, we've got to... Uh, We've got to start again early and we've, we can hopefully nail it if I have the privilege to be part of it by but getting can re-elected. I, can I just make one point there, you see, that the changes, I, I acknowledge that, but one of the most fundamental changes that's been made is, for example, in the South now, you have one housing authority. And it, on paper it sounds great, but the politicians have no input. It's done by officers. Yeah. So the elected representatives have no influence at all on who gets a house. No influence if there are circumstances that warrant it now. Some people say, oh, they'll do the mates' favours. In a committee, big enough committee, that's hard to do. And what makes you feel that officers might not do that? So we, you, there's a lot of unrest about this, that people are being allocated houses with no input from the politicians. So you go to the politician, the local politician, go to a cast-down commissioner or go to a board head, and what do they say? I have no say over it. But surely you have to protect the allocation of housing from sort of political interference even if it's you know however well intentioned well, should political it? interference absolutely and you can do that by having clear policies set down on the criteria that they have to work to but to have that only with officers and no input at all at all by any politician to me is not a reason is not what democracy is about democracy is about local representation at local level and it's about people that we've just seen tonight who have been elected by the people to look after their interests the officers haven't they're there to service those interests and that's the difference and i do think there's getting muddled up a bit uh, chris thomas anything to add on that no it's, it's a fair point but the other thing that's uh, changing is that uh, the Equality Act's there, the Freedom of Information Act's there, we've got the Ombudsman that, na that can now consider cases about housing allocation and so on. So these are all making it a bit more difficult. The other point I wanted to put down on on, the, on, the, on this show is the fact that we've got huge differences in local authorities in the island. We've got Santon and Jerby, where they've had a very active local democracy this evening, but they have a, an annual turnover of £100,000 compared to Douglas, yep. which has 30 million turnover, and we have much lower turnouts. Mr Cherry, who was on earlier, talked about the Municipal Association, and it's really frustrating for Douglas, particularly when they go to the Municipal Association, because Douglas has one vote, Santon has one vote, Jerby has one vote, and uh, that's why another reason why it's really hard to get through and, and make change. You know, if it comes from top down, the people resist it, so therefore it's been working to an extent bottom up with Garth being formed, with Arbury and Russian merging. I'm sure something eventually will happen town in happening Castletown and Maloo because I, I heard earlier on Mr Brown saying that part of the reason Castletown wanted houses was to get extra rates and that's exactly what I perceived and they're looking at Maloo that gets all the rates from the airport well, and the industrial it's, it's estate. Not just and that. So. Half, 
Castletown actually handles the sewage, although now it's Irish, but handled all the sewage from Maloo and never got a penny for it. It just had to take it through their system. The whole system is, is a, to be blunt, it's a mess. And I don't think it helps democracy because then what you're finding is you're getting commissioners who do, through their first term, get extremely frustrated that they have very little influence over the things that matter to the people they're representing. And, and that's a real issue. These, these roles have to be meaningful. They have to mean something. You have to be able to achieve. If you take away achievement, then there's no vision, there's no way forward. People just get fed up and, and you end up with this situation. And, and I do think that there's a need to um, you know, bring all these things together. The principles of what Chris says are fine, but they're all being done in bits. You need an overall picture. And you need to say, how do we sort this out? And that's that to me is the missing link. But who's going to take this forward? Because do, do MHKs benefit from sorting out local authorities? Well, lots of the MHKs don't want strong local authorities because that's where their opposition will come from. And that's been going on for 25 years and maybe even before that. But certainly um, we did time for change during my time when I was Minister of Local Government and the Environment. We had all the local authorities except I think it was two in favour of the change. It was total restructuring, total refinancing and so on. And it fell because the MHKs didn't want strong local government in their areas because that's where their opposition would come from. So they have to look above that and say, what's in the best interest of the ratepayers? The rate system certainly isn't. The services provided at local level are now more provided from central government, from government itself, and it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. So, Chris Thomas, are you going to be taking this issue back up uh, uh, should you be successful it, in there? It, it's in my manifesto, and it's very important. That we, and there are three things that are changed now. The first one is that we now have many more two-seat MHK constituencies well, so, th so therefore we have Glen Faber and Peel so the people have to appeal both to the town and the countryside we have uh, we have other areas <laughs> like that Garth the same with part of Onken and part of Garth so that's one tension eventually Maloo and Castletown will have to work out an arrangement as they will have to do in Port Erin and Port St Mary and in Ramsey with the northern parishes and in Peel and the rest of Glen Faber and so on so mm. that's the second one and the third one it's just that, uh, exactly as Tony Brown said, um, we we need um, to focus on the services and the delivery of those services. Out in the countryside, people perceive that Douglas and Ramsey and Peel waste money relative to them, and that's a perception that's probably real, and we've got to actually deal with that as well. Well, I did reference the election there, so I should reference that the other candidate standing uh, for Douglas Central for the House of Keys is, of course, uh, of course Anne Corlett. Could okay. I just, could I just say something that Chris mentioned? <coughs> Excuse me about like to take uh, Maloo. The biggest part of their income comes from quarrying, and that's one issue. You've got the same when you go up the point of air. Quarrying gives them masses amounts of money, and yet their services are very small. The towns, whether it's Castletown, Ramsey, or whatever, don't have that. So it, it's distorting the whole system. So you have very wealthy small parishes and relatively speaking, poor towns. OK, oh, we just had some messages uh, in from uh, Onken. There are two candidates left to count there. It's unlikely that uh, the result will be on before midnight, but uh, we'll stick with you. We'll try and get the 
great uh, result from Onken. Uh, lots of people have been saying, obviously, Castletown, Douglas, Garth, Jervy, Onken, Peel and Santon, there have been elections. But the rest of them, the other 14, Arbery and Russian, uh, John Murray, Kringle, Jane Looney, Kerry Jenkins, Peter Gunn, Stanley Pilling and Thomas Radcliffe, uh, representing Arbery and Russian. In Braddon, well, you heard uh, earlier on uh, Christina Corkill talking about Braddon, Andrew Jessup, Neil Mellon, Andrew Morgan, John Quay and Peter Scott. There are five seats in Braddon and seven in Michael, uh, Matthew Deal, uh, Catriona Livingston, Avril Muller, uh, Paul Clark, Barry Murphy, Diane Kelly and Carol Lillywhite in Michael. Uh, five seats in Bride. Uh, Pam Kenray, Julie Billingsley, Jennifer Quine and Anne Carter. Uh, so uh, one short there uh, in Bride. In Lazare, uh, Andrew Brew, Vivian Quain, Julian Tier, and also Madeline Westall. Uh, there are five there, but only four named. Uh, in Patrick, there are five. Roger Banks-Jones, Henry Brideson, Jeff Gelling, Philip Matthews and John Snelling. Uh, in Port St. Mary, seven seats, two vacant, but Rebecca Gelling, Alan Grace, uh, Norman Edwards, Arthur Vaughan Williams, Carol Williams uh, are in there. In Andreas, uh, Mrs. Allenson, Mr. Clegg, uh, Mrs. Farragher, Mrs. Hind and Mr. Moore, all uncontested. Uncontested in German, Catherine Comen, uh, sorry, Catherine Corrin, uh, Martin Fade, Valerie Goldie, Fiona Moore and Robin Watterson. Uh, in Maroun, five seats, uh, Eliza Cox, Christian Forbes, John Lovelady, Alison Lynch and Terence Miles. In Balaf, three seats vacant of the five. In there, Stephen Curfee and Liz Nicholson. In Malou, two seats vacant, but in Barbara Brereton, Richard Lewis and George Norrie. In Port Erin, seven seats, one vacant, so in Gerald Callister. Godfrey Eagy, uh, Barbara Guy, Hannah McKenzie, Mark Morley and Dawn Sim. And in Ramsey, uh, the uh, the North Ward, six seats uncontested, three seats are vacant in Wilf Young, Juan McGuinness and Stephen Kelly. In the South Ward, uh, all, six seats are taken, all uncontested, Geoffrey Court, Robert Cowell, Norman Greenwood, Albert Oldham, Leonard Singer and Finlow uh, Williams are all in there. So 14 uncontested, 7 contested. So on, on the surface office, uh, uh, obviously, it doesn't look entirely healthy, Ewan. No, and we'll, we'll bring in our guests here, but when we're talking about um, making local authorities work for the people of the Isle of Man, uh, I suppose detractors will point to the fact that, you know, the majority in this case, you know, there's no actual uh, voted in uh, democratic representation. Now, I've heard some people in the local authorities argue that lots of the people who do end up taking the positions are essentially volunteering free of charge to give up their time to, you know, do their civic duty, uh, if you like. Um, I see some smirks from some of the guests. But um, what what do you guys think about this issue? Is actually a, a participatory democracy at this level, is, is that essential element of it? Because you're talking about the other issues uh, needing to come first. Well, all government can do is provide through a democratic system the opportunity for people to be elected by the people. And if not enough candidates stand, then... You know, good luck to those who actually were brave enough to put the names forward and got returned unopposed. Um, they're still elected, but they're just returned without a vote. Um, and let's hope, and time will tell, whether they're going to do a good job or going to contribute valuably to their local community. Well, does that distinction matter, uncontested and contested? 
Well, what <laughs> as somebody who stood for the keys and I got elected majority of the times by popular vote and then on two occasions I was elected uh, unopposed, uh, it, it psychologically matters because what happens is you get a boost from getting elected by popular vote because, you know, you have the trust of the people clearly demonstrated to you. Now, you can argue... You know, I was in a single seat. I got elected twice and nobody stood against me. So in theory, I was elected by the people, by popular vote, without them actually going to a ballot. Uh, and there was enough confidence for people to say, we're happy with him. We don't want anyone to oppose. But there is a difference. You do psychologically feel much. It gives you a big boost when you win an election. It's awful when you lose. But when you win, it's a big boost. And that helps drive you forward to make things happen. Well, you said that before, the, thinking about the number of local authorities and the number of seats, that's a distraction really from the main issues. But if, if, if the, the fact that there are many authorities and that means there's a dilution and there's a lack of competition, is that not an issue? No, I, I suppose I take a slightly different view. And I was five years directly dealing with local government as a minister, minister of local government, and then five years in Castletown. Um, I do think there's a very important part to remember that the Isle of Man is full of small communities. And those communities matter, and how you govern them at local level, I think, matters. There is nothing wrong if, for example, in Santon, um, five people represent the people who live in Santon, and then seven people represent the people in Castletown. What's wrong is actually how the system is not working. In other words, how it's structured to work. And, you know, Chris has said he's, he's trying to get this matter brought forward. Things are happening tried it in my time you've got to get through tinwald accepting you can't just keep dragging away uh, bit by bit from the local authorities because eventually they'll just implode and nobody be interested you need to properly structure it you need to work out what the isle of man needs for a local government structure and whether it's it, as it was proposed in my time 13 constituencies or 10 or whatever it doesn't matter as long as they're structured properly because the democracy then will act. And as long as the people who have got responsibilities have proper responsibilities, because that's what makes you do your job right, real responsibility to the public, then the system will work. And is Won't that what perfect. brings the voters in? Having... Oh, absolutely. I mean, voters will go when there's issues that matter. You always get a low poll or in majority times when there's actually people are either content or they just can't be bothered, right? But when there's an issue that really winds them up, and a good one will always be planning, you'll have a high poll. So, you know, and in fact, I think it was Jerby. They've had, no, not Jerby, Laxey, were on about the sewer system. And that, that brought the voters out because the candidates have stood to say, we want to sort this out. There was a clear issue that the village is worried about. So the number of people going out to vote went up because they wanted to make sure the people they wanted to fight their corner got elected. Well, that's an interesting issue to raise because I suppose another role of local authority members is they don't have the direct uh, control over what central government does. They become lobbyists for local issues a lot Well, they've the never time. had direct control over what central government does. Government has one role, local government has a separate one. If anything, the two roles have become very muddled because we're getting lots of things that could be done at local level being done by central government. Some have to be done because of professionalism now. You need the proper people in, you know, with the professional qualifications because the world has changed. Um, and, you know, you have to do things right. But there's an awful lot of other things potentially that could be done at local level. They have been lobbyists. They have been there to consult. 
um, and they have put their views in. Sometimes I would suggest the local authorities haven't been forceful enough in putting their views forward. And the municipal association, which Chris mentioned before, uh, the municipal association, it doesn't matter whether Douglas has only one vote. It's not a political structure in the sense that it has power. What it is, is a gathering of uh, local authority members to discuss issues that matter to all of them and then put that to government. So Douglas for 20 years weren't even in the municipal because they didn't like it. They thought it was a waste of time. So, you know, what's it for? It's a bit like the CPA. We go to the CPA, which is Commonwealth Parliamentary Association. We all talk. There's a policy determined. And that's just sent over to whoever to say, this is what we think. But government has to make the decision. Okay, Uh, uh, Tony Brown, that was. Uh, We're going back to Peel. Beth Espy's talking to Alan Jones and Hazel Hannan. word with Alan Jones who's uh, regained his seat in the commissioners how are you feeling tonight it's been a long day um, but I, it's been a, I'm really grateful the fact that we had an election and I'm very pleased for everybody who stood for it uh, and I'd like to thank them for putting themselves forward uh, congratulate those who got in um, and uh, I just look forward we've got four years of hard work ahead of us and let's get on with it and some new blood on the commissioners tonight. Some very good new blood, yeah. I'm delighted to see them on there. So I'll look forward to the next four years. Thank Wonderful, you. thank you. So talking now to Hazel Hannan, who's been re-elected to the commission this evening. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I'm feeling fine. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, any other have been elected. Um, we've got to be honest. But we had an election. That's the main thing. So, yes, yes, it was... It was good, and we've got new people on the on the commissioners. So um, yeah, I think Peel will go from strength to strength. And in your manifesto, you set out some of the priorities for Peel. But from the the people's point of view, what is the main one? What really needs to get done now? I think the main thing is the sewerage. Uh, there are people who say that's nothing to do with the commissioners. It's in the it's government's hands. To do. It's nothing to do with the commissioners. But that's that's I think the main priority. Um, I think one of the things that commissioners have got to address really seriously, especially after today, is climate change. Everyone has got to um, address it. We're supposed to be a biosphere. We're supposed to be living in harmony with nature. We're not doing that. But then that's, you know, the commissioners can do their bit. Everybody can do their bit. And um, but government have also got to come up to the mark. A suggestion maybe the commissioners haven't been doing it up to now? A little bit, yes, yes. But trying to get change, you know, it's, it's, it is difficult, yes. You're well used to these elections by now, Hazel, but um, does it still give you that same thrill? Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Sometimes I think, why am I putting myself through it again? But the Peel, I did it. I just Fun. love Peel and I love the people in Peel and I'll just do the best I can for them. Hazel, congratulations. Thank you for talking to us. Thanks. Alan Jones and uh, Hazel Hannan with Beth Espy in Peel tonight, uh, Local Democracy Live. Uh, we're we're uh, ripping up the script here tonight because we're going to go on. We're supposed to finish at midnight. We're going to wait until everything happens in Onken. Uh, but we're going to say goodbye to our guests, Chris Thomas and uh, Tony Brown, have been with us. Uh, to uh, obviously Tony Brown started as a as a commissioner, ended up as a chief minister. Tony Brown, when you first topped the poll in in Castletown as a commissioner. Did you have any 
ambition to become chief minister? No, and I never had an ambition to become chief minister whilst I was in the Keys until my last term. And I didn't really have the ambition per se because I was happy to be speaker. And when the nominations failed, uh, I was then lobbied by members and asked, would I put my name forward to go for the position of chief minister? And I thought about it long and hard before I said yes. So uh, that journey that started um, with uh, you know, youth provision in Castletown uh, you know, f- finished up with you as Chief Minister of the Isle of Man. So I-, I just want to draw the strings together regarding local democracy. And we've heard you know, from one end that um, you know, you're talking about people not being uh, hearing about local democracy because of newspapers and because of the way things are nowadays. At the other end, we've got... The creeping of central government, as it were, almost trying to steal the clothes of local government. So how can they, the voter, how can the, the person in the, in the parish and the country and the town and the village, how can they have faith in, in, in the, the, the mechanism of democracy? Well, they can have faith in the mechanism. I think the issue is it's about the candidates. The candidate has to sell themselves and has to be honest. And if the... Um, if the candidate and take my stance, I only wanted to be a commissioner because I wanted to make things better in Castletown. I cared about young people. I cared about things that were going on. And I stood on the basis that I wanted to contribute to the town. I was 26. All my mates thought I was bonkers. Why would you want to go and join a load of old men like that? And and I, I said, because, you know, I just think we need to do something. And, and to be honest, you know, all the way through, my view was... I wanted to serve the Isle of Man when I became an MHK. I wanted to learn so that I could actually make a difference. And you can only make a difference if you understand how the system works and the knowledge that you gain over years. And I gained considerable knowledge over 30 years. The Tony Brown who retired from being an MHK from the Tony Brown who entered the House of Keys in 1981 were totally different people in terms of their expertise and their knowledge and that's just gained like in any profession you learn as you go on but you have to be interested and there's two motivations in politics one the people who vote for you and two is your own and if you haven't got that you're not going to achieve okay uh, chris thomas are you still motivated inside oh i am getting uh, meeting people like you and it was going around canvassing in douglas Central was incredibly exciting and stimulating <laughs> Uh, so here we are. Another local election is almost behind. We, we've just got Onken uh, to come now. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's interested in local politics? Somebody who thinks that might be for me. The next five years are just going to be just as important as the last five years were. There will be change. But when you're a local authority politician, it's about housing. It's about waste management. It's about planning. It's about community activity and community spirit one thing I would say that we could perhaps make a difference this time is we need to to refocus on MHKs working with commissioners and the councillors and one way to do that was for the last 20 years I think we've been thinking that central government does it to local commissioners and wouldn't it be better for instance with rates why, why don't we finally acknowledge that Douglas, Braddon and Onken collect their own rates and why wouldn't we involve them as equally alongside Treasury in terms of trying to reform rates and then at the end of my the rates consultation and the rates motion I actually got through Tim Wood I had so many good offers from Braddon and Douglas particularly to be involved Onken was a bit uh, tardy but Onken had had other things on its mind at the time and I really do think that we can make progress if we set up a sort of uh, group with government to work with Braddon and Douglas and other authorities as well. But they all have common interests. 
Okay. Thanks for being with us tonight, Chris Thomas, MHK, Tony Brown, former uh, Chief Minister. We're, we're cracking on after midnight. We're not going anywhere until we hear what's happening in Onkin. cracking on. We may not stop until dawn until we find out what's happening in uh, Onken. The counts have come in from Castletown, in Douglas, in Garth, in Jervy, in Peel, in Santon. As yet, the count rolls on in Onken. Uh, Alex Brindley is uh, at the hub on School Road. And as soon as we know what's happening in Onken, we'll uh, bring you the coverage. Now, much has been talked about encouraging young people in politics. It's an issue that is brought up at every election. If you listen to uh, Manx Radio's podcast, it's a youth politics podcast called Politibabble. Archie and Oliver are two of the hosts of Manx Radio's Politibabble. Archie and Oliver say there's a lack of awareness about local authority elections. You've been in school. Has there been much talk of local elections? local authority elections coming up i must say from the education side there's been absolutely nothing i've been mentioned by the school oh if you're in castletown you live in castletown you can go and vote if you live in douglas you can go and vote there's not actually been any any form of announcement in school which i think it's been it's been disappointing the lack of uh of of awareness about the local election there's been i say slightly more i say uh, over over the uh general election coming up but there's still not been very much within the schools about you can go out and actually vote, and you you should be going out and voting these days. We saw we saw the other the other day that obviously self isolating residents now uh, can't actually go and vote. So I suppose that's that's a big problem for the youth because about half of them are actually, well half of them a few yeah. weeks ago were all isolating were the youth. With yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, currently, if you're standing and you've been speaking to a lot of people on the door and they seem very interested in you as a candidate. Um, potentially you could lose a considerable amount of votes. And uh, obviously, as we know, most of the people self-isolating, self-isolating at the moment, if you're looking at the statistics, are people aged uh, from our age all the way up to around 25 is where, where the, the high numbers are. Obviously, they are the people that have usually not double jabbed and only have one jab or none at all. Um, so for some candidates, they are going to be uh, quite affected by the number of, of uh, people Going, going to the polls. I think it'd be, it'd be quite, quite interesting, I suppose, to see the, see the results of the election, see the influence when the breakdown finally comes out. Um, I suppose it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been interesting uh, with the engage, level of engagement. I'm in a, a commissioner's parish where there, there isn't really, uh, there's not a contested election, but mm. our people our age can't actually go and stand for, for the election. We have to be 18 to go and yes. actually stand, even though we can vote at 16. So if you did lower that voting age, we might have seen maybe more contested elections from, from young people who just want to get interested in politics to try and make a difference definitely, uh, to their, their yes. local environment. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think there are a lot of younger people around our age, especially with the rise 
of um, social media activism and, and lots of other things such as coronavirus that have made people maybe not to want to be on a national level of politics, but be on a local and change small things around them to influence them on a bigger level and um, and really want to, to, to sort of put, put themselves forward. But obviously um, you have to be 18, which is uh, another factor. So I suppose we're slightly disappointed that there's not been so much awareness put out, especially to the, towards the youth in the voting areas where there is voting about about the election. Uh, so it would be interesting in future. It would be good in future to see more awareness raised within, within schools to say you can go out and vote. and These elections do actually make a difference. Yes, absolutely. I do think that 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 needs to be utilised a lot more, and I think um, the Isle of Man as a whole needs to. Uh, especially the Department of Education really need to uh, implement more uh, political education within within the schools and and I think it should be mandatory because uh, I think it's everyone's democratic right to vote and um, well it is but but make them aware that they can do and because a lot of people don't don't know if you ask most people on the street they wouldn't know that there is a local authority election this Thursday and I think things really need to be changed on that. There they are, Archie and Ollie, uh, Oliver, two of the hosts of Max Radio's Youth Politics podcast, Politibabble. Uh, take a listen to it. They are the uh, taxpayers of the future and the voters. Of course, they'll be allowed to vote in the Keys General election this coming September. Uh, we've been everywhere, so let's go to Onken, to the hub in Onken, Alex Brindley. When are they going to do it, Alex? When's it going to happen? Uh, that's the question I would love to have an answer to. Good morning from Onken. There was a greeting I wasn't expecting to say this evening. Um, it's been a lovely warm evening here in Onken, quite frankly a little too warm at times. Um, and uh, there was quite a flurry of activity before the doors closed at 8 o'clock with voters still turning out. Now obviously Onken, a you know, controversial constituency, you know, headline after headline about the commissioners um, with accusations of bullying, infighting and the outward impression of a, a local authority in disarray at times, set against the backdrop of issues that need resolved such as anti-social behaviour in the village and the parish, um, possible um, vandalism and calls for investment in facilities and housing. So these are just some of the issues that um, the uh, the new Onkin commissioners going forward will have to grapple with. There's seven seats up for grabs, there's eight candidates vying to fill them and hopefully within about the next ten minutes, quarter of an hour, Andy, we will find out who those people are sitting in those seven seats uh, for the next few years. But for the moment, back to you. Won't be long now, Alex. Thanks for being with us tonight. Eight minutes past midnight. We'll go on till dawn. Uh, Onken is well known for keeping everybody waiting, and uh, it's been a, a lot of a soap opera. Why should it stop now, Ewan? Uh, uh, yeah, keep going. Let's we're we're here, we're ready. So let's keep having it. I do want to mention because you know respect to Alex Brindley down in Onken because he was actually our first reserve to cover the authority. He wasn't supposed to be there, uh, but unfortunately, as is affected that this election and other people, you know, cope for COVID reasons, and um, we had to call upon his services. And uh, poor fella has ended up uh, doing <laughs> the latest count uh, that we. It's had. not just bars that have to close. We have to call in the management sometimes to uh, <laughs> to get their hands dirty. Uh, lots of um, reports around. To, of course, and and Chris Thomas was alluding to to the fact that you know in different parts of the Isle of Man, uh, politics resonates in different ways. You know, he's talking about Jerby, big turnout in Jerby. You know, wanting to get something done in Jerby and Jerby. Uh, as a as an area has got an awful lot of potential uh, they still haven't got to grips with the uh, you know with the industrial park and everything mm. up there uh, they've been throwing money at, at it but still nothing's come of it well i, I was at a, a public meeting up there about some of the proposals the doi had to 
a retrofit some of the old hangars and, and areas and, and try and rejuvenate the area but the message i seem to get from the residents was they've heard it all before and they've not seen much happen and that was the resounding message and the other big public meeting during my time as the local democracy reporter that i went to in jerby was about the bus service and they were swapping out some of the regular services for dial a ride mm-hmm. and you almost got the vibe that jerby was a a convenient testing ground for things that might be rolled out in other places later and i think the community sort of said you know we haven't asked for this why why roll it out so it's great to see when these elections were confirmed i think you know standing out amongst the, the bigger hitters were jerby and santon places where you know i, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid had they been un, uncontested uh you know and then we look at some of the big uncontested elections like ramsey places like that you sort of they were the outliers, Jibby and Santon, but what tonight proves is that those communities do want to have a say in how they're governed at local level. And that is something that, that should be cherished, I suppose, and noticed and valued uh, from the people in those communities. Well, they've heard it all before, as you say, in Jerby. Go back to the airship days uh, of Jerby 30-odd years ago. Uh, so, But, but uh, Jerby, at the moment, is something of a blank canvas. Now, the turnout in both terms of candidates and electors does and will add to the debate over the future shape of authorities and we've heard people talking about the shape how many you know should there be more authorities should there be fewer authorities and how their function has changed john moss has a few thoughts i have in my hand a document on its cover is a man who looks like a younger barry crier with his shoulder to the arm of a very large clock now there's the magna carta there's the declaration of independence There was that bit of paper Neville Chamberlain waved at Heston Airport. And then there's this. Time for change. This wasn't the first, but perhaps the most famous and the most reviled blueprint to try and refurbish local authorities. This, the bad uncle, in a series of reports issued by the Department of Local Government and the Environment, as it was then, an initial report in 1992 proposed to reform local government on the basis of six authorities. The second interim report in 93 advocated 12 authorities. The final report in February 1994 recommended a structure based on 13 authorities and so on. Opposition from the existing authorities led to a further alternative approach in September 1999. In October of that year, the Council of Ministers determined not to take the issue of local government reform any further for the time being. Over the years, more reports, suggestions... Reheating the pot and throwing in the ingredients. Less authorities, bigger authorities. I have towed wing of bat. Now in 2021, the lack of an election process in three quarters, is it, of the authorities, has poked at the embers of the discussion. But do we now have an element in the mix that wasn't there a decade or so ago? Is social media the new social democracy? Instead of turning to their conscientious corpus of representatives, do people turn to their phones, their tablets, their computers? If an individual is incensed at a local failing on the roads quite often, potholes and speed, blighting, parking, rubbish. No, no, I don't mean parking is rubbish. I mean, well, never mind. Well, where do they turn to? They may present their grievance to the local authority, to a member, or they may guide their digits to their keyboard, to social media, and there pound out their unhappiness. There they're quite likely to find like-minded souls who will add their shoulders to the wheel of discontent and force its progress a little further up the road. Of course, local authorities are great nursery slopes, though, for those who want to become doers rather than talkers, for those for whom Polly ticks the boxes. 
who perhaps dream of national office. Like Dot Tilbury guiding the young Cavendish, the young wobbling politician can find his or her balance and gather speed in local authorities, perhaps one day achieving escape velocity from local government and landing triumphant a new Jeff Bezos parachute deployed safely into a key seat. And from there, who knows? I commend that thought to the House. Fourteen minutes past midnight, local democracy life. We're in extra time at the moment. It's not golden goal. It may go to penalties. It's certainly going to a very late count of the hub in Main Road in Onken. Alex Brindley will be with us with the result, hopefully fairly shortly. Uh, one man who's been doing the rounds in uh, Douglas tonight, uh, weaving between all the candidates, the victors and the vanquished, Chris Cave is with us. Uh, your reflections on tonight in Douglas? Oh, I just love that language that you use there, Andy, because it, it really is... Uh exciting election nights wherever they take place especially here on the Isle of Man where you know a lot of the candidates and the public figures involved personally and there is so much emotion on show when you're there in the counts because you go through the highs and the lows are you in are you not especially when it goes to a recount and as you heard from uh, many of the people who've been speaking on the program tonight Local authorities get to the heart of the community with smaller issues that perhaps central government don't take care of, but the commissioners and the council, they can actually do something about it and make our communities better. And we see as well, although it is a low turnout, every vote does count because we've seen some big names fall tonight. Now, what was the situation with it? There was a recount in Douglas North, is that right? In Douglas North, yes, two recounts, uh, actually. Who because, calls for the recount? Uh, the candidates, if they're uh, watching the counts and they can see that it is close and there's not too many votes in it, then they will request a recount. Uh, and that can happen numerous times. I uh, assume that that may have happened several times in Onken tonight, which is why we're dragging on into the early hours of the morning. But it happens time and again in elections. And again, it adds to that roller coaster of emotion, which we've seen and we've heard from many of the candidates who are putting their names forward. They're putting their head above the parapet. They're willing to do something for their communities. Some of them, though, they might fall on their sword. They might not be successful. And it will be very interesting to see who gets in in Onken and who is ultimately unsuccessful. And in Douglas, when do they start to decide? When do they regroup and decide who's going to be leader? Well, that will take place over the next few weeks. The next public council meeting, I'm sure, will be very interesting. And I'm sure there will be the more experienced councillors who have been successful tonight who will be just currying favour with a few of their peers, testing the water, seeing if they would be a popular candidate to put their names forward. And then you look at the likes of John Skinner, who's been a mayor previously. He Stephen has Pitts. Stephen Pitts as well. He topped the poll uh, in his constituency tonight as well. So that will add more weight. The people have mm. chosen him in numbers as yeah. well today. And many, many, uh, as you say, many of their contemporaries, obviously uh, Richard McNichol, David Christian now, all uh, disappearing off the, off the local political stage as well. And that experience, Andy, the names that you just mentioned there. Now, they might not be... Uh, island-wide known names but for people in douglas they've been voting them in for decades and that experience will be missed 
Uh, you and Gorn have been looking at the counts. Uh, we've had uh, six. We've just got Onken to come in. What uh, what have you got there, Ewan? Yeah, well, let's start from the start. Let's refresh our memory. So, uh, a heady two hours ago, Santon commissioners were the first to declare. Uh, John Moss was down there for us reporting. Turned out there 30%. Howard Benson topped the poll. And Davidson, Vori Kelly, Ned Kenyuk and Anna Lucia Parker were elected. That was the first place to declare Santon commissioners. Uh, then uh, we were followed by... Oh, I'm hearing that we're going to have a, a possible result. Who knows? There's a strong rumour Onken may have it together. Alex? Well, good morning once again from the uh, hub at Onken, where whilst it's been long, the counting process has been very smooth here this evening under the watchful eye of the returning officer, Jeremy Callan, who is now ready to declare the result. Yes, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, declaration of results. I, Jeremy Callan, returning officer for the above election, hereby declare and publish that the total number of votes given for each of the candidates was as follows. Alan Anthony, 642. Dobson, Nigel Anthony, 380. Crellon, Derek, 566. Lewin, Zara Evie, 619. Logan, Penella, Tracy Eugenie, 990. Quirk, David John, 1,019. Turton, Robin Christopher, 598. Williams, Catherine Sean, 707. And I declare that the following persons are duly elected to serve as Commissioner for the period to the 1st of May 2025. David John Quirk, Penella Tracy Eugenie Logan, Catherine Sean Williams, Anthony Allen, Zara Evie Lewin, Robin Christopher Turton, and Derek Crellin. I can confirm that the total number of voters voting at the election was 1,710, which was 23.95% poll. There were four ballot papers rejected for the following reasons. Two, voting for more candidates and vacancies to be filled, and two, marked or void for uncertainty. Thank you very much indeed. Well, there you have the result from Ongpin. It's been a long night here, but um, seven seats filled um, with the eight candidates standing. I'm going to try and get some words, actually, with some of the successful candidates. First of all, Anthony Allen, pleased with that result? Um, yes, yes and no. Yeah, the result is what the result is. Um, What's the no from your perspective? I'd have liked a higher turnout. I think um, 23.9%, just under 24%. Um, is not going to be as high as other authorities across the island. And I think that's, that's something that we're going to have to work on. I think uh, we need to engage with the community more. And um, I think for me, that's, that's the lesson that um, I'm going to take from this. What do you think is causing apathy or um, the feeling of disenfranchisement in the local community that leads to a low turnout like that? Uh, that's that's beyond um, a simple analysis at so many minutes past midnight. Um, I think we're going to have to do a proper analysis of that, and uh, I, I see the solution to the problem is to have more um, focus and more engagement with the public, and hopefully that will build on that 24%. Thank you very much, Anthony, and congratulations once again. Thank you. Um, I've also got uh, Derek here. Um, so re-elected once again. Um, are you happy with the result this evening? The result was um, a fair ballot. Uh, congratulations to David. He's done exceptionally well. Um, my poll, I felt, could have been better, but the public has spoken and uh, I wish all the candidates that are elected all the best for the forthcoming municipal year. Thank you.
What sort of issues do you feel that during the canvassing are on voters' minds when it comes to the local authority in Onken? <laughs> you can't shrug your shoulders on radio, it doesn't really work. What are the issues that you really are going to have to tackle in the, in the, the, the coming years? Because these are now your responsibility. The public have voted, you can't just shrug your shoulders at the public now. No, the public have voted. Um, the public obviously want um, the, the authority to work together, work for the benefit of the people and the district and provide the services that they deserve for their rate money. Thank you. Thanks very much, Derek. Congratulations once again. Um, then the, I'm going to catch here, Nigel. Um, commiserations that you missed out this evening on, on getting a seat. Your, your initial thoughts? Uh, the people of Onkin chose otherwise, and that's how it should be. Though, when you've been out canvassing, what were the issues that you feel that the people of Onken um, really want the commissioners to get to grips with? I think they want them to work as a single unit and a happy team. And, uh, uh, they want less of the discontent. That's what the message I got. We do seem to get headline after headline about Onken commissioners, and they're, they're not good headlines. Do you think that's part of the reason that people felt a bit disenfranchised? I think possibly. It's certainly the reason I stood. I thought I might be able to help uh, with those kind of issues, but uh, it wasn't to be. But I hope that the new candidates who will come in and the new places will, will have better fortune. Thank you very much, Nigel. Commiserations once again. Okay, thanks. And here is the man who's uh, topped the poll this evening. David, uh, yeah. no, um, no stranger to controversy when it's come to um, longer commissioners and elections, but you've topped the poll. Why do you think that was? Uh, well, I think the people of uh, Ongan actually t uh, trusted me or had faith in me to put me in the second time. Don't forget, we, we had a by-election in October there. Uh, I joined the commissioners. I want to do things for the, the village. The main things in the village, what makes sure that the, the village people know what's going on in Onken. And we want to improve some of the, uh, the activities that we have in Onken. We want to bring, the, I, my personal view is we bring the community back to the people. And then we are representatives of the people, so we'll do that. Now that was very good politician speak there, but well, when it comes to recent headlines with Onken commissioners, they've been negative and normally your name is included somewhere in the editorial. Why is. why is it you're courting so much controversy? I don't know because every time somebody reads something in the public section a minute, a member is actually me and um, I've done nothing wrong. I can tell the people of Onkin there that uh, I've asked questions to say what I've done wrong, why has it cost the authority so much money and I still haven't had any answers. Maybe we will get some answers in the future. There's a fresh board in there. It may be a different uh, um, positioning. I'm sure it will be when we have our first meeting and I'll be uh, at the first meeting to make sure we, we talk to the, our new colleagues and see what they want to do. Finally, a wise man once said, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you going to continue this sort of internal Cold War that on the outside we feel is, is being undertaken or are we going to see a new Onken Commissioners now where actually they're going to get on with the job? Now, we'll be getting on with the job, I can guarantee you that. I've had, I, as I said to you before, but, uh, but I've, had, I've done nothing wrong at all. Uh, actions have been brought against myself. You have to defend yourself and I think the people of uh, Onken have vindicated uh, me tonight by putting me at the top of the poll and I appreciate the people that came today uh, it was so hot, we've had COVID, people have been positive, they wanted to do different votes, we couldn't do that. And I want to really thank the returning officer and the staff who have been here tonight, and maybe Max Radio too.
David, congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm going to quickly grab um, a few words with um, two of the new candidates. Uh, first of all, uh, Fenella, congratulations. Thank you very much. Now, what made you stand in the first place for Uncan Commissioners? Because um, there has been a lot of negativity in the press about Uncan Commissioners. Why did you suddenly want to get involved? Um, I've always been quite interested in politics, but my main reason was I just wanted the curbside recycling. Um, I kind of felt like I shouldn't complain about it too much if I wasn't willing to stand up and try and do something about it. So... Did you find that struck a chord with people when you were canvassing or the other issues as well that they expect you now to get to grips with? Um, no, it did seem to be something that people were saying on the doorstep when I was asking them. They seemed to be mostly happy with Onkin, with most stuff that goes on. Um, but yeah, the curbside seemed to be something that came up time and time again. So, well, Congratulations for um, getting your first seat. Thank you very much. And likewise, Zara, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. What were the issues then that you feel very strongly about that you're going to want to get to grips with now? Yeah, very similar to Penella. I want to see more recycling done. Um, I know I have spoke to a few people about the curbside recycling. There's also, I would like to see a bit more support for the youth projects going on in Onkin. Um, but other than that, I think those are the main two. There is, there is a few other bits and pieces, but we'll have to see what what we can manage to achieve going forward. How do you feel when it comes to local authorities like Onkin, which is now such a, a close neighbour to Douglas, as Douglas has got bigger over the years? Do you feel it still has an important role? Oh, absolutely. Honestly, I had no idea it was so massive until until this. I didn't realise, because um, it goes right down to um, Tremode and everything now. So. Are you feeling daunted by the role? Um, a little bit, but I think it should be quite exciting to get stuck into, to be honest. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, finally, I was actually looking for the final candidate, Catherine, who has actually um, left the building already. Um, so apologies, I can't get an interview with uh, Catherine Williams, who was the, uh, the final candidate. But Andy, um, yes, before the sun is about to rise, we are pretty much finished here at Onken. It's been a long night, but it all went very smoothly. And uh, maybe we'll see a fresh dawn for Onken commissioners where uh, the headlines are becoming more positive. Alex Brindley, there's no stopping us now. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we interrupted you and Gorn, it seems like, three years ago. Where were you? We'll start again. Just running down the successful candidates tonight in the, in the election. Santon commissioners' results were declared first. Howard Benson topped the poll there. And Davidson, Vori Kelly, Ned Kenyuk and Anna Lucia Park were elected. The turnout there was 30%. Uh, Garth uh, were next to declare. Lon and Ward they were the only election there. Stuart Clegg topped the poll. Melanie Christian uh, and Tim Kenyon were also successful in the election. Turnout there was 34.8%. Uh, Moving on then to Jerby who are next up. The election results there. Kelly Charman topped the poll. Darren Hope, Louise Kennedy, Sarah Jane Melvin and Lee Quaggan were also elected. Turnout in Jerby, 41%. Very healthy. Uh, Castletown were next. We had William King up on the roof. Uh, we think he got off safely. Uh, but the results there, Jamie Horton topped the poll. Elizabeth Cannon, James Cubbon, Colin Leather, Jerry Ludford-Brooks, Eleanor Quinney and Carol Quine were also elected. Turnout was 34%. The Peel results came next. Mike Wade topped the poll with a sizable number of votes. Vori Heaton, Hazel Hannon, Alan Jones, Madeline Kenny, Christine Muckton and Frank Compton were also elected. Turnout in Peel, 38%. Next up, we had the two Douglas wards in quick succession. Douglas Central, Stephen Pitts topped the poll. John Skinner and Natalie Byron also elected. The turnout was 21%. 
Then the Douglas East Ward results, Andrew Bentley of the Isle of Man Green Party, he topped the poll, Devon Watson of Manx Labour and Ian Clegg were also elected. Then, after several recounts, slightly later, Douglas North's results came in, Janet Tomney topped the poll, Isle of Man Green Party member Falk Horning and Manx Labour Party member Peter Washington were also elected. The election low turnout there of 16%. And finally, a recap of Onken, which we've just heard from Alex Brindley, our late-night reporter. David Quirk topped the poll. Uh, Manx Labour's Fenella Logan, Catherine Williams, Anthony Allen, Zara Lewin, Robin Turton and Derek Crellin were elected. The turnout, 23.95%. Half past midnight, Manx Radio. That's it for Local Democracy Live. Thanks to our reporters, William King in Castletown, Chris Cave in Douglas... It was uh, Chris Pearson in Garth at Laxey Working Men's Institute, Simon Clark at Jerby Parish Hall, Beth Espy in Peel, Alex Brindley in Onken, John Moss in Santon. To our studio guests, Barry Murphy from Michael Commissioners, Christina Corkill, departing Vice Chair of Braddon, Jane, Glovery, uh, Jane Glover, the Chair of Arbury, David Christian uh, was speaking to Chris Cave and Carol Crawley as well, James Cherry, former Onken Commissioner, Chris Thomas, MHK, Tony Brown, former former Chief Minister, and Devon Watson. Thanks to co-host Ewan Gorn tonight and also producer Ben Hartley. Thank you for being with us. And if you want more information on what's been happening in your local democracy, go to manxradio.com. You can also find it on the free Manx Radio app, which if you don't have already, get as soon as you can. You don't get much for nothing nowadays. Manx Radio program uh, continues through the night till the early breakfast show with Chris Williams and there'll be more on the breakfast show as well with Ben Hartley and Sean Cowper. I'm Andy Wint. Hope you've enjoyed this local democracy live. We'll do it all again in September for the Keys election.